This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Walking you through life. Uh, joined, of course, by Jeffrey Simpson and Terry South. The gang's all here. The Apple Dumpling Gang. <laughs> Ooh, I love apple dumplings. Is that what we're serving this morning? So fun. Hey, we got a lot to talk about. Today we will be getting into the topic of do Americans want to buy smart guns? Hmm. I mean, as opposed to a dumb gun. Smart, like the gun decides whether or not to shoot. Yeah, like, so don't, I don't have to make that decision don't myself. Shoot that guy. No, more like smart, like it recognizes the owner and the shooter. Mm. <gasps> and it so, has a designated shooter that fits the gun and the gun will only fire. With... So like Skyfall, the James Bond movie. Yeah, didn't, yeah he had yeah. a gun. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that. That one's called, a, I think, a signature gun, meaning his, it was reading off his handprint. Yes. And only he could use that weapon, right? I thought you were going to say he had to fill out his signature before no, he could fire they, it they, out. they call it that. And they've actually had several on that show where they that. would be a that. cool gun. But the, there's different models. There's thumbprints. Yeah. You put the thumbprint on and the lock pops off, or there's a watch you can wear and the gun can uh-huh. know if you have that. There's pluses and minuses for it all, but I mean, it's it's more along the lines of you hear uh, just yesterday another child in a home shot its uh, a five year old kid, got a hold of its dad's gun, and uh. shot their two year old sibling. Mm. Happens all the time. Seems like it Doesn't would be need a to smart happen. thing, right? But yeah. they, and they have safes as well, and they have a lot of locks and. There's ways to protect it, but it seems like smart gun technology would be really cool. There are forces against it. But what happens when, you know, an intruder enters your house and your right hand is in a sling because you broke your hand and you can't get the gun to work? Your watch that you need to use the gun is across the house. But at the same time, people store their bullets in one one end of the house and their gun in the other end of the house. How effective is that? The reality so is uh, apparently, and we'll, our our guests will talk about this. Do Americans even want smart guns? Right. And th- it seems like the ones that don't have guns think it's a great idea, mm-hmm. and those that have guns don't want them. Let me ask you something: Is a bat under your bed enough? A bat, like an animal bat, like a bat, like a Batman bat. Well, you you bring up a good point. I'm talking about a baseball bat, but we could go with the uh, nocturnal creature. Would you rather have a bat or would you rather have a golf club? Ooh. I have a golf club. I have a golf club, too. I I, I can work a golf club a lot better than a bat. And a bat, you got to get them in closer. With a bat, though, you could poke them in addition to hitting them. It'd be a little more difficult to poke but them with a the, golf club. the downside is all the while they may have a gun and they yeah. can hit you from across the room. Yeah. So. If they have a gun, I'm just going to five iron them. <laughs> I think it's important iron. to remember that most crooks don't want to be seen. They don't even want to be there while you're there. Right. Great point. Great, great point. But we're going with the narrative where we're trying to terrify everyone. That seems to be the most popular. So we're going with the movie scenario. Here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In fact, let's let's lighten the mood a little bit by by talking about today is National Pizza Day. This yes. is the day finally, my favorite day of the year. To celebrate this, I have a food option later today. Ooh. There has been developments. Do you want to tell them what hour you are going to talk about the food? 
option. Um, I'm debating. I'm not sure. Okay, maybe it's second, more of a maybe flow, third. Probably second hour. All right. We'll, we'll talk about it. But there has been developments on the pizza front. There's a new pizza. Whoa. Is it going to be better than the bacon burger yesterday? We uh, had to put like a bowl underneath Matt's mouth yesterday so because of all good. the saliva coming out. It hit a cardiac event when I ate mm-hmm. Because I, I don't, I can't eat them, so I have to just talk about them. Right. Today we're going to talk about pizza. Yeah. Favorite pizza? If you could just pick one pizza. Round. Okay, good. Go with the round. Pepperoni and sausage. <laughs> oh, that's best right. combination. Uh, I like barbecue chicken. I'm hmm. liking that more and more. Mm. I, What's, I, I, what song is this? It's the pizza song. Is this Italian? Uh, See, si. it does not sound Italian. Some Slavic, Russian? Is this Slavic pizza day? No, it's Italian. It's National okay. Pizza Day. So uh, happy National Pizza Day! Uh, of course, we'll get to that fun. Plus, I'm sure something's going on with Donald Trump. We'll get to that in the Every news. Day. Every day. But Chaos first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's really happening around the world? Senator Jeff Sessions was confirmed as the next attorney general in President Trump's administration Wednesday night, earning a simple majority by around 720 Eastern with the vote of 52 to 47. The night before, Senator Elizabeth Warren made headlines for attempting to read a letter from uh, or written by uh, Clarita Scott King criticizing Sessions on the Senate floor. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell shut her down, and she was subsequently not allowed to speak. That caused quite the stir. Uh, we were actually looking on Etsy during oh, the really? show yesterday, and there's all like memorabilia for that event. Really? A lot of w- woman power, girl power yeah. type stuff. So he caused a stir, and that may maybe somebody stepped in and told him, hey, we need to tone this down. You're, you're causing resistance. Yeah, that you're doesn't creating work well problems. For Senator Joe uh, Manchin was the only Democrat to vote in favor of confirming him. Really? Yeah, so he may have some things to answer He's the for. only Democrat. Yeah, he, he broke ranks. He's also in a very volatile state where he could lose... Because it went Trump. Which is why he did that. President Trump's pick for the Supreme Court expressed to lawmakers on Wednesday that he was upset to see the president attacking the federal judge who temporarily suspended his ban on travel from seven Muslim-majority countries. In a private meeting with Senator Richard Blumenthal, SCOTUS pick Neil Gorsuch said it was disheartening and demoralizing to see the president bash Bush-appointed federal judge James L. Robart as the so-called judge after the ruling on the travel ban went against Trump's policy. The president additionally denigrated the ruling as ridiculous. It's ridiculous. President Trump tweeted this morning that Blumenthal misrepresented what the judge said, and Republican Senator Ben Sass went on Morning Joe and confirmed that the judge made those comments and is pretty passionate about it. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, honestly, this could be very good for Court Gorsuch because now maybe more Democrats will vote for him. Possibly. He is a man that will fight his own president. Uh, U.S. Army Lieutenant General Stephen Townsend, be a family member. Army General. The top American commander in Iraq believes that within the next six months, U.S.-backed forces will recapture Raqqa, Syria, and Mosul from the Islamic State. Raqqa is the militant group's de facto capital in Syria. And in Mosul, ISIS has lost territory in and around the city since Iraqi forces began a ground operation there last October. There are less than 6,000 U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. Experts told uh, Reuters the Pentagon could ask for additional forces or request more helicopters and airstrikes. Hmm. So there we go. That's my guy. Your your General you're, Townsend. General Townsend. I thought you meant the SAS guy. No, he's sassy. Sass. And finally, this yeah. is actually bad news. What? If that little black screen installed a few precious inches from your face is the only thing that keeps you from losing your mind every time you buckle up for a long flight... 
You're in for some bad news. What? Last month, American Airlines announced it won't be installing seatback entertainment systems in its new Boeing 737s. That's about 100 new passenger jets it plans to have in use by the end of the year, and that might be just the beginning. Most aviation watchers expect that the the technology will become obsolete at some point in the coming years as more people fly with their own devices. You know what? Yeah, just give me an outlet. If you would just give me an outlet, I'd be happy as ever. American Airlines says about 90% of passengers now carry their own smartphone or tablet with them on every flight. The screens cost about $3 million to install per jetliner, and the added weight from the wiring and bulkier seats, which which together can add as much as 600 extra pounds per plane, Hmm. makes the aircraft less fuel efficient. Instead, the airline's new fleet will include power outlets and free access to online library of movies and shows directly. During the flight, as long as you pay for the Wi-Fi, which is about sixteen dollars plus tax for the day. And I heard that we're only a few years out from uh, just hooking up to that Inception machine. Yeah, where we just doze off and we're just in a dream for an hour and a half. Do you have to float in water. Um. Well, the plane would have to crash in water for okay. that to happen. You know what? This doesn't make sense. So they're going to save us. They're going to save money. Yeah. And then they're going to charge us more. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. It's called business. Yeah, it's no, not it's called a, business. It's, a good it's called thing. I won't even use the word. You need to get somewhere. They know it. You have really a limited amount of choices. They're going to charge you more. Except you could always choose the discount airline who were keep, raising their prices to. But they're not raising them to the same level. And let's keep them afloat. But and let's all fight against it. They're stripping all the uh, amenities from their flights. That's all right. As long as we don't have to stand. You get a seat, there may be a chicken underneath it. Huh. Like a bucket of chicken? No, like a live chicken. Now, that's a flight I would take. I'd take the bucket of chicken flight every day. Oh, brother. Hey, the Northeast is in for it. They're getting I saw that. pounded, I guess. They're going to get pounded. Yeah. I don't, has it started? Um, I don't know. Um, because uh, they're going like a foot of snow. Boston, New York. These people aren't used to a foot of snow. No. They don't have room for the snow. Yeah, where do you put the snow? Yeah, yeah apparently it's started. Hmm. Well, well, get your shovel. Get your shovel and uh, get your kitty litter. <laughs> I saw that. To put by the tires. Man. Well, we're here for you. We, I'd love more snow. We just have kind of a warm front coming through. It's 50s. I know. I don't want it. I want snow. Yeah, cover up my dead lawn. Come on. Come on. Come on. So, Matt, w- yeah. could you be a communications director? For for Donald Trump? Yeah. No. They're no. having a hard time filling that job. Yeah. And I think now they're saying, let's go find somebody that's already been in the White House. They have talked to at least two people. Uh, reports are saying two people have turned down the job. It's usually a coveted position yeah. because it's like oh, yeah. Everyone a, wants that a job. resume builder type thing. Not, yeah. not even that. You want, you want established people. Steve Schmidt, John McCain's presidential campaign manager and aide in George W. Bush's White House, explains – the challenges with being the comms director for Trump because the communications director job in the White House has always functioned as a strategic planning job, understanding the necessity of building and maintaining public approval for the president's policies. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the complete and total chaos emanating from the White House on a number of issues, it's clear they have no strategic planning function. Wrong. Right. Crafting a political message is also made difficult by a president who prefers to set his policy on Twitter. Wrong. Yeah. You're nobody, wrong. nobody wants that. And so they've gone to all kinds, uh, like several established people who've worked in White Houses in the past, and they don't want to. Well, even um, even Kellyanne Conway, 
didn't want to be the spokesperson or right. the communications director because she could have had either. Though she endorsed Ivanka Trump's brand yesterday from the uh, – from where she was in the press room, the White House press room. Well, it sounds was... like a lot of people are, from the White House are endorsing know, the brand. Trump? Um, yeah. And beating up Nordstrom. When, when Trump put that on Twitter yesterday, apparently he was 20 minutes into his intelligence briefing for the day. <laughs> so the, the theory is – you know, the, the narrative is he stops – Tweet something out and then goes back to you know the important okay. Now stuff. what were you saying about Afghanistan? How do you spell Nordstrom? I gotta get this. Tw- is there an S on Nordstroms or is there just Nordstrom? Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> the generals are like, what? Oh yeah, that's that's a problem, yep. and I think it will continue. It, remember, it all flows from the top down, right? So, so what do you think about Trump and this? The judge is that going to be an I issue? Think, no. He's making comments saying he's disheartened. I mean, so he's going to pull out his supreme. He's going to pull out the SCOTUS nomination that was the greatest thing he's done, according to him, and the most. I mean, it was a beautiful rollout. It was the most organized thing he put together. No, that, and I think honestly, it will bode better for this judge. So Richard Blumenthal said this yesterday or today. I think it was this morning. Clip two. There's no question that Judge Gorsuch said to me that. He found these attacks on the judiciary by the president to be disheartening and demoralizing. In fact, his spokesperson after the meeting confirmed it. He made the statement more than once. In fact, he has made that same statement to a number of my colleagues, including Senator Schumer. But I think that telling me that he finds these attacks to be demoralizing or disheartening behind closed doors is not enough. He needs to make that statement publicly and condemn this attack on the independence of the judiciary. <laughs> he gaveled it in. So the next question in that interview was, is this a judge who's supposed to be out of the public eye and you know stay unpolitical? Is yeah. he becoming political if he makes some sort of statement other than talking to the senators? Yeah. Well, he, he can't go public, right? Or then he is making public statements. He's right. just making private. He's supposed to be meeting with these senators. Yeah. So he's just meeting with them and privately saying things, and they're the ones leaking it. Yeah. So that's probably what he'll keep doing. But it's not going to hurt him. No. I mean, Donald likes strong people. In fact, every member of his cabinet has pretty much gone against him now. In some way. In or, one or, way or another. Or, has a, or has a viewpoint that, he, that is separate from what he's right. talked about before. So. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think – I don't know. I, it's a really weird position to be in. But it's true. I mean, Gorsuch is like, yeah, you shouldn't. It's he's just saying it's disheartening. It's demoralizing. Yeah. He's not saying it's evil spawn of darkness. Yet, yet we don't know what the future holds. He's just like it's just demoralizing. If you're a judge and you're doing the best you can, and then you have the president of the United States jumping in, yeah. demoralizing. I found this on. Uh, it was on Seth Meyers, NBC. Sat down with Anderson Cooper last night. Yeah. Funny comment here. Play, play I mean, he talks all the time about how much he hates CNN and how right. bad CNN right. is. He calls CNN fake news. Fake news. Right, yeah. Uh, but yet you get, the, uh, you get the feeling he's watching a lot of CNN. Oh, no, no. He watches CNN all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 this is not in dispute at all. <laughs> and because I, he has texted about people I'm interviewing while I'm interviewing them. I mean, yeah. He would do that during the campaign. And uh, and then there's you know it's on in his offices certainly at Trump Tower it was on a lot and and I know yeah he watches he watches more cable news than 
he watches me on CNN probably more than my mom yeah. watches me on CNN. And, and even though, you, look, cable news is very helpful, but there is a place where you can maybe watch too much cable news. Yeah, I mean, you would think at a certain point, I mean, look, I appreciate the, you know, I mean, if you had a Nielsen box, it would be even better. But, right. you know, uh, but at a certain point, you would think, like, there's got to be something more important going on at, you know, for the president to be doing than <laughs> flicking around the shows. <laughs> Apparently not. Should the president of the United States be a Nielsen reporting family to help boost the ratings of cable news? I think it would actually skew the data. That's all we need. Then then CNN would be number one. Uh, yeah, apparently he does watch it a lot. And apparently it's in a robe even though he says that's a lie. He doesn't own a robe. There's not, I know that's even scary. Just don't look at the 50 pictures of him in robes on Twitter that people found. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't own a robe? No robes. And he, apparently Anderson Cooper doesn't value his show very highly if he thinks that there are other important things that he could be doing besides watching CNN. Well, I mean, it's weird. Did you ever hear of, like, Obama watching TV? Sports. Like, just sports. He would just try not to watch all the people talking about what he just did. Yeah. But nobody would admit they just sit and watch CNN. Because in the morning, all the people would walk in with all the news clippings of yeah. what people said about what he did. So he figured he'd get a break for an hour and watch Sports Center. Or well, something. if you look at the president's t- desk, you'll see the newspaper. He'll, yes. You'll see a stack of three or four newspapers on his desk. So these are all the papers he hates. You know, one of those is the New York Times. Well, yeah, because he, you he know reads that in the New York right. Post every day. I mean, but they're failing. But he hates them, and yeah, they're failing. And but I'm just going to read them. Yeah, well, you know. There's the paradox of Donald Trump. Says one thing, does another. What do you do? Well, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, uh, we are celebrating National Pizza Day. We're also going to be getting in-depth into the topic of do Americans want to buy smart guns? All that ahead. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Smart guns are the next level in gun security. They're designed to keep anyone except the owner of the gun from being able to fire the weapon. But do Americans want to buy smart guns? Dr. Lacey Wallace, assistant professor of criminal justice at Pennsylvania State University, joins us now to discuss some of her research and some of the the history about uh, smart guns. Dr. Lacey Wallace, thanks for being with us today. You're most welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Great, uh, great topic. I think super important as, as more and more, even today, we hear of another, you know, accidental shooting of a child, uh, shooting a child because he got a hold of his parents' gun. Um, talk about smart guns. First of all, let's define what a smart gun is. And uh, are people really interested in them? Well, to start with what a, a smart gun is, it's basically a gun with some sort of device Uh, included in it or attached to it that makes it so that only certain people can fire it. And there's been a lot of uh, different experiments with some of that technology. Some require a fingerprint. Some require you to wear a watch with a a chip so the gun recognizes you. And back in the 70s, uh, believe it or not, there was even a gun add-on with a magnetic ring uh, that would make it so only the person wearing that ring could fire the gun. How many – I mean this is fairly new technology. It seems like it's smart to have the gun attached to the the owner of the gun or the one that that might be trained to use the gun instead of letting anybody just fire it. What what is the negative pushback against 
a smart gun? Well, one of the arguments is cost. I know one of the smart guns, the very few that's actually uh, more or less available for purchase right now, runs about $1,800. And a comparable gun without the smart gun technology would be about a quarter of that price. Boy. So for, for some folks, that's hard to digest. That's crazy. I mean, when you think that every cell phone can have a some kind of unlocking feature by, you know, a thumbprint, it, you'd think you'd be able to put that on a gun as well fairly inexpensively. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, not so far at least. And some of it's uh, not, necessarily, not necessarily cost, but also a concern about what impact it will have. There are currently about as many guns as there are people in the United States. So even if smart guns do hit the market, it won't really change all those guns that are already out there. Right. In fact, talk about that because that seems to be, as as we get into your research, it seems like more and more, if you want a smart gun, it depends really if you're a gun user, if you're pro-gun anyway. Talk about how the country falls out as far as being, you know, a gun user, pro-gun, those that are pro-gun, what are the stats behind those that have guns and those that don't? Well, uh, the estimates vary, but um, ballpark, about a a quarter of Americans or so say they personally own a gun, and somewhere ballpark 40% or so say they live in a home with a gun. But a lot of our, our gun owners that are out there don't just have one gun. They have six, seven, eight, or even more guns. Hmm. Uh, the last time I, I saw a stat on that, I think it was out of the Washington Post, uh, said that about 3% of Americans own most of the firearms in the United States. That's crazy. 3% own most of the guns. And um, maybe, you know, some of them, I'm sure, are collectors. Some of them are probably, you know trying to just stockpile guns, I guess, have a lot of them. Is it – but in your research, you found that there's a certain percentage of people or those that are actually more prone to wanting smart guns probably aren't even gun owners. Exactly. Uh, in my research, I looked at how people who don't currently own guns feel and how gun owners feel. And for gun owners especially, the more pro-gun you were, uh, or even just being a gun owner generally, meant that you weren't as into smart guns. You weren't as supportive of it. And those are the folks we expect to maybe go out and buy more guns. Mm-hmm. Do um, I mean, again, we hear story after story about guns. Uh, for years, we were talking about gun legislation, anything we could do to, to dial back your ability or your opportunity to get a gun. Or those with, you know, back, have better background checks, those with mental health issues, maybe not being able to get a gun. But it even seems like something as simple as the smart gun um, isn't even really gaining a lot of traction. Not really. Uh, there is one state that's tried. Uh, New Jersey, believe it or not, passed a law back in 2002. And that law is still on the books. And it the way it reads, as soon as smart guns hit the market, uh, within two years, uh, basically all of your gun dealers are uh, basically required to sell smart guns. Oh, wow. But well, that's, because smart yeah. guns aren't really on the market yet, yeah. uh, that hasn't kicked in. Well, and not affordably on the market either. Again, the, there's, we know there's technology. It's just it's got to be fitted to a gun. And then it might – the hard part is um, – 
you might have other members in the family that would need the gun in an emergency and wouldn't be able to use the gun because it only takes dad's fingerprints. And so that's probably why a lot of the gun lobby are against it. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, believe it or not, also uh, an MIT student, I believe it was this past year, did uh, come out with a prototype that allows multiple authorized mm. users. So that may help to um, potentially you know, make people a little happier with the idea. Yeah. Is, so in your research, what, what specifically were you trying to figure out? Well, I noticed that a lot of the polls out there just ask people, do you favor smart guns or not? And they didn't really look at what kinds of people were supportive or not. And that was really what I was interested in, figuring out, okay, you know, we kind of know overall how people feel, but is it certain types of people? Now, what people do favor guns and smart guns and which people don't? Uh, for the most part, uh, you're looking at people who are already pro-gun, already supportive, uh, that are against smart guns. So if you already own a gun or you're pretty pro-gun, uh, you're likely to be fairly resistant to that. Uh, I actually didn't find that huge of a gap between liberals and conservatives, uh, which was a little bit hmm. surprising. There, there was a big divide between people who are, are more independent or, or moderate and conservatives, but not so much just uh, liberal or conservative. Now, and is, is that like liberals and conservatives that don't own a gun think alike and liberals and conservatives that do own a gun think alike? Oh, that's a great question. I noticed that if when I looked at people who don't already own a gun, their answers were a lot more consistent. They were they were pretty favorable towards smart guns, and it was a lot more consistent. But with gun owners, it was a lot more scattered. There were a lot of differences by how pro-gun you were, what region of the country you lived in, uh, and those sorts of things that just didn't come up with the people who don't own guns right now. Hmm. It's... So it was a little more divided with those gun owners. Well, it, it really is a very it's – it's got to be an interesting thing to research because uh, do people disclose – I mean I know I would feel really strange. In fact, I feel strange anytime my friends or neighbors or people are talking about if they own guns or not. Um, I don't know that I would fully disclose if I own a gun or not. Oh, that's a great question. I mean maybe to the authorities, I, yeah. yeah, but probably not to my neighbor. Absolutely. I actually uh, studied that, and I'm just finishing up that study, actually. And you're absolutely right. When um, people are in a situation where it's a family member or a friend, they're pretty comfortable sharing that information. But just about anybody else, and it's it's pretty much a no-go. Uh, people feel really uncomfortable uh, with people that aren't basically living in their house or in their neighborhood. Hmm. Is, um, is there – when you look at it as a researcher – and as a professor, um, what's the what's the case in, for you know? Because you you're a professor of criminal justice. What what's the what's the case for gun um, for these uh, for smart guns as a as kind of a, a an impediment to crime? I mean, it seems like it would it would help if we could somehow lock up these guns by having a very personalized lock to the owner. Yeah, I would agree with you. My One of my big research interests is in juveniles. And unfortunately, like you said earlier, it seems uh, all too common that we turn on the news and hear about uh, a child killed. And homicide and suicide are actually the, the second and third leading causes of death uh, for teens. Uh, 
So for me, that would be you know, my biggest interest in it is can we stop some of those from happening? Yeah. Because there's potentially no reason those kids should have uh, gotten a hold of those guns otherwise, possibly. Right. And um, I, I guess, though, too, with millions of guns out there, uh, unless there's a retrofit, maybe it's more of a, a smart lock that they could use to unlock the gun. Um, I mean, I guess, too, if the costs are too high and that's one way gun – gun manufacturers can keep them out of the market is just keep the costs up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There has been some talk about putting some research investment into, like you said, a retrofit, but it hasn't taken off just yet. Most of the prototypes out there are for, um, quote unquote, smart guns, so, so newly developed guns, but not retrofitting the old ones that everyone already owns. Hmm. And then, too, I mean, there's the I guess the accuracy of it. Where does it does it slow down the gun? Does the lo- does the smart gun fire the same way? Does it have the same mechanism? What, what have you found as far as just accuracy and and use of a smart gun? Oh well, it's been a little mixed. Some of the the earlier prototypes were a touch slower, probably not slow enough to to really impact much of anything. Some of the newer ones are doing better on that. So as the technology is progressing, they're getting a little quicker about that. Hmm. But there are still some concerns about potential cell phone interference, uh, how close is too close uh, for the the chip readers, and some things like that that are still being worked out. And then, too, I'm I'm assuming – the whole time I'm thinking about a smart gun, I'm thinking about a a handgun – but I'm assuming these would also be on rifles, long rifles, and so all the sports guns uh, would also be able to have them. Potentially, although all the the prototypes that I've seen pop up recently have have all been designed for handguns. Because, hmm. I mean, yeah, does a hunter then need to take his glove off to fire the gun? I don't know. I mean, right. no wonder that, that could be difficult. No wonder they have issues with it. Is It's just not a perfect answer yet. Right, and... I think first, I mean, for practical purposes, handguns do make sense. They are the guns that are are used in crime very often. So if if that's the focus to prevent crime uh, and that sort of thing, it it makes sense to focus on those for right now. Does legislation work? I mean, I know that there's kind of an an inability to create bilateral agreements, it seems like, on guns because they've been trying it for years. is there – it seems like if a manufacturer could create a product that would make the gun safer and make money on it, it seems like that that they'd want to do that. So you could create something that both the gun manufacturers are interested in selling and the people want to have. Yes, and that would make sense. Uh, so far, unfortunately, it just hasn't happened. Uh, across the years, the last uh, 10, 20 years, a couple companies have tried to come out – uh, with a gun and push it, and there's just been so much uh, political drama, I guess is the word I'd use, that they've had to remove them from the market. Mm. Is wh- Where do you see we need to go in the future with this research and in creating a safer gun, and um, where, where, do you, where do you plan on taking it? Well, uh, I guess I would like to see some questions answered. I, I think a number of folks in the gun lobby do have some, some valid concerns that, that need addressing, like how accurate uh, are the weapons, how quickly can they be fired. And I think if we can address some of those issues in a positive way, then we might be able to convince more people that these uh, can be a, a crime or uh, a 
safety uh, tool that we could use. So I definitely want to see that. Uh, I'm also trying to uh, study a little bit more about why people support or don't support smart guns. I didn't do that uh, in the research we're discussing today, but in a study I'm just starting, I'm asking people, well, why do you feel that way? To see what their reasoning is. Hmm. What about the smart gun is really hanging them up? What's your hypothesis? What's your belief? What's your gut say? Well, I've just been looking at the the first responses that have come in, and it for the most part, they're focusing a lot on issues like uh, how quickly can I fire the gun. And so it seems like those are practical concerns really are what's hanging a lot of people up hmm. right now. Yeah, you don't want to be in, impeded. But that's why, um, I mean, too, I mean, whatever whatever the answer is would also be a great thing for police officers to be able to use. I mean, every time I look at a police officer just standing there and I see his gun, it's right there. So many people... You know, a criminal would love to get a hold of that gun, but if the gun could only fire in the hand of um, an officer, that would be I mean, pretty powerful technology as well. I mean, there's safety all around. But Well, Dr. Wallace, we appreciate you and uh, your great work. Uh, keep uh, researching smart guns again. And, and really, I, trying to make us all safer, I think, is the idea. Again, I'm. You either love guns or you don't, and those a lot of people I know that don't love them, don't understand them. They've never been around them. Also, those that I know love guns have a variety of reasons why they don't want to lose their freedoms. And to me, that I wouldn't make this even about a freedom issue as much as we can. We're smart, folks. We can get people to the moon, right? We can. We have a cell phone that has so much technology. Why can we not create a handgun that? Uh, that can protect everyone, right? Not just those firing, but the kids in the same home. And um, there's got to be ways. And I'm sure it's more complicated than than just one side of the argument. So we'll take a break, come back and continue the discussion, uh, doing what we can to help you live a healthier, happier life, and really to, to, to live a smart life. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So much to talk about, so much to uh, get into, and uh, Terry's got something for us. A warning from doctors to parents. What? Watch your kids. Well, we of course, we always do. To, to kind of really simplify this topic, kids tend to do dumb things at times? Y- yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, don't, I, I have small yeah. kids. You have older kids. Yeah, it's the same kids. Okay, it's all the same kids. Doctors are warning parents about a dangerous game teenagers are playing that can lead to permanent damage. It's called the salt and ice challenge. Kids pour salt on a part of their body and then place ice cubes over it. Oh, that brother. salt lowers the temperature of the ice cube within five to ten minutes, and the cube can cause serious in- injuries. The, this doctor says it's essentially frostbite. They're giving themselves frostbite. Look, Mommy, I'm getting frostbite. He said the challenge has been around for years, but it just won't go away. Several children have been treated for injuries in just the last year. Some of the pictures you'll see on the Internet and YouTube, those kids have third-degree burns from this salt and ice challenge. Oh, brother. It means it turns it to leather, your skin. It turns it to leather. 
instantly. So you lose blood vessels that are in there. You lose sensation because of nerve endings. You'll never have the hair if you did it on your arms, and you'll you'll just have a bald patch on your arm. A, ba- doing this. a leathery bald patch. Yeah. Holy cow, what is wrong with these kids? But it's fun, and you can put it on YouTube. Hold on, what's fun about it? My arm's burning. Oh, yeah. So wait a minute. There could This could be a good thing if you don't want hair in certain places. Uh, right. But then you get side. leathery skin. Oh. So you're trading. I mean, you can go get electrolysis or whatever. Yeah, that, that doesn't ruin your nerve endings. My wife want, might want me to put some on my lower back. Really? Mm-hmm. Too much information. A little salt and ice on the lower back, please. You know, it reminds me of Brian Reagan, uh, Regan's skit. What do we call it? His com- his comedian stand-up. Stand-up, his routine. stand-up routine about looking at the sun. Mm. That you're not, you know. You're not supposed look, to. Yeah. All the kids are like looking at the sun and seeing how long they can count, how high they can count before their eyes burn out. See, that's how you used to pass the time. Yeah, we used to look at the sun. Look, I got up to four, Mom. And then he walks around. The, yeah. You're blind for an hour. Or it, it makes you wonder, maybe, you know, maybe Darwin was right. Some really? people shouldn't survive. Survival of the fittest? Yeah. See, I've endorsed such ideas. I always get sort of, you know, people look at you judgmentally when you mention those. Well, yeah, but you can't have you can't be looking at the sun. And if you're going to, then you deserve to be blind. I mean, unless, of course, you're three. There's only so far you can go with this, though. And ice, another one. How about those kids that do the the hot, like the cocoa challenge, and they try to yeah. put as much. That's actually kind of fun to watch. Of, well, no, I know somebody that's passed away. Oh, okay, not doing so that. fun. Then. They've died. Well, how much From, cocoa did they? They aspirated. Um, it was they were eating brownie mix. Oh, wow! Powder brownie mix, and they put it in their mouth and aspirated it and died. Yeah, that's bad can't do that it's much better when you actually make it into the batter oh yeah and just eat it then you that just way. chug it yeah now that nothing wrong with that it just goes down smooth but don't put it in dry but these kids do the cinnamon challenge yeah. which is nuts there's the gallon milk chug challenge yeah that's gross can somebody issue like a sleep in challenge or something something yeah, simple I, I yeah <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna die from do. sleeping in Mine are going to die from having a screen too close to their face. I guess that's like looking at the sun. It could be. <sighs> so, yeah, watch kids. out for that. The salt and ice challenge. Kids will be kids, won't they? All right, good stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll do a little coach's corner. Selfish thoughts that are killing your marriage. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, lovebirds, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, and as as we like to do on the show, we want to give you a little coach's corner, a chance where I can uh, talk about the things I talk about with my clients and give them a little uh, heads up. It's easy to get married, right? It's easy to find somebody, you know, life is perfect, everything's great, you love everything about your partner, but there are some things that we, if we're not careful, we might fall into uh, some selfish activity. 
And in a, in a marriage, nothing can kill a marriage faster than a little selfishness. So uh, let me run through a few things, a few typical thought patterns that we might have as humans that uh, that might be slowing down your marriage, impacting you in a negative way. One um, is really a, a fairly basic concept called um, this concept of simple fairness. If all everything you want in life has to be fair, it's got to be fair. It's not fair. That's not fair. In fact, that's an argument we usually hear from second graders who don't feel like, you know, they got as much of the dessert as their brother or sister did. Fairness is a it's a great concept, but it's it's a fallacy when it comes to life. The reality is life isn't fair. And for example, uh, guys don't do a fair share statistically of the housework. Now, some husbands do. Uh, some husbands do a lot of the housework. But in reality, all the research shows it's not proportional. It, even when we're dating and cohabitating, we tend to do more housework than the minute we get married. All of a sudden, it becomes more of a load on on the female. Now, why I bring up fairness as a fallacy is because if you keep hoping for fairness, instead what we maybe ought to be asking for is some equality or um, some some – a better term might be just simply you do your share, I'll do my share. In, in reality, in a marriage, fair would be – not always be the exact same amount. And why I also bring that up is because there will be a point where one of you will be taking care of the other – in a disproportionate way just because of injury or accident or illness. And in the end of most of our lives, it won't be a fair balance there. So get used to, to not thinking it's always going to be fair. Another problem we um, have in our marriages or a thought that tends to come up a lot is when we tend to we tend to generalize a lot. We tend to – it's a fairly basic cognitive distortion that a lot of us uh, have where we think if something happens you know, in the morning, we tend to generalize that it's happening all day and then we might see another negative thing, which leads us to another thinking error of negative interpretation. A lot of times when couples are really struggling with each other, they're frustrated, they can't take it anymore, we become what's called a negative interpreter, which means I start seeing only the negative in my spouse. And I'm doing it really as a survival technique, but if all I see in my partner is the negative stuff, that's all that there is. You can only create and, and feel in your life what you see. Negative interpreters, we, we do it because we really are trying to protect ourselves. Think about it. If you were stung by a bee, if you were bit by a snake in the garden – you're going to think that there's snakes everywhere. If you see the hose in the yard, you're going to assume it's a snake. If you see the shovel on the ground, you're going to assume that stick is the snake. Negative interpreters see everything their partner does as negative. So think about your marriage. Do you negative interpret? Do you overgeneralize? Do you have these habits of seeing them um, in this negative light? Do you always cry for fairness? Um, are you always catastrophizing and turning just something that's nominal and a kind of a minimized issue? Are you maximizing it and turning it into the greatest of all problems of your life? They're simple things, but they start to add up in our marriages. And when they add up, they add up to a point where we don't want who we have. We don't want 
what we used to have. We don't want what we currently have and we won't want any more of it in the future. And then those feelings, those thoughts start to drive certain feelings that eventually destroy destroy the relationship. So let's be careful. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. Let's start working on it by just working on some of our thoughts. Let's start seeing the good in others. We'll take a break, folks, when we come back. Continue the discussions here on the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Matt here along with uh, Jeffrey and Terry, of course. The gang, the gang's all here celebrating National Pizza Day. You gotta love it. So, Jeff plays Greek music? This is Opa. Italian music. Oh, is this? Is this? Okay. Well, it's Greek to me. Sounds Greek. Opa! I've gone that to is the, Italian. Okay. I've gone to the Greek festival locally, heard this song, I think. We'll have to ask Don. Don, our boss. Yeah, he comes Sheila in and corrects Lime. our Greek. Because you said that wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we Today, we got a lot to get into. Um, not only pizza day. This is the day that you can, whether it's, you know, Chicago style, deep dish, thin crust, however you like it. Had a Chicago style on Sunday. Did you? Yeah. Yummy. It's like it's like lasagna at some point. But yeah, it's good. Oh, anything's stacked. better than thin crust. Yeah, thin seems like, you know, you're getting messed over. Well, if, if you like the toppings more than you like the loaf of bread. Yeah. No. Really? You need the crust not only for the goodness of it, but also to shield your fingers from touching the saucier parts of the pizza. Saucier. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's true. You need a base. That's you don't need you do. a, you don't need a loaf of bread, but you need a, a solid base yeah, upon so. which to stack the goods. Because where are you going to hold a thin crust pizza, where the cheese and the sauce just goes over the mm-hmm. entire surface? How about you can't ones, hold that. How about the ones that are baked in like the the oven, what are they called? Like the brick oven baked ones. I don't I don't like my pizza burnt. Really? No. Right. I also don't like it soggy. There's that special happy medium. Yeah, and again. If we can figure out that happy medium, which many pizzerias have been able to figure out, we ought to be able to figure out, like we were talking about last hour, a safe lock on a gun. There you go. Come on. If you can get the perfect pizza, you can get the perfect so safe So start gun. with pizza, and then yeah. we can achieve world peace. That's what you're trying <laughs> to say. It. World pizza. Start gotcha. with the pizza, and then people will love it so much they don't even want you to move on to the gun. That's right. Who needs a gun? Pass me some pie. Uh, today we will also be talking about anxiety when it comes to math. Apparently, math drives a lot of people crazy. Yeah. Like anxious. Yeah. Like when you go to the grocery store yeah. and it says like three for 12 or three for $15. I mean, yeah, those are well, those are actually well, easy examples. Let's say three for $20. Mm, then you got to do the math on that one. Math. Some people struggle doing tips, getting putting together a tip. But our guest today will talk about how anxiety around math is creating a shortage of 
young scientists, people that aren't taking math. They're not getting into the sciences. And we'll talk about male versus female, what's happening to our young women that aren't – that have this anxiety. I had math anxiety. We'll, we'll talk about that. that I, was, I still do. I, do you? Yeah. yeah. But the funny thing is, is I was pretty darn good at it. I just didn't think I was hmm. because I did, couldn't do my times tables very fast. I was bad at it and I knew it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I used to do math. I used to do a lot of math. Yeah. But uh, never right. I'm, I'm recovering. But see, that's why we're all on the radio, right? See, other people are out making money and like running, you know, major science. I was watching a, a show yesterday. Yeah. It's a comedy. But teachers, and they're in there. They're, they're, the woman teaching the class wasn't teaching the Common Core standards. Mm. The principal walked in, and she, "Why aren't you teaching Common Core?" And she goes, uh, "I like to teach more to what my kids are strong in, and go towards that as a way to educate them. Go to their strengths. Go with their strengths." And he's like, "No, it's federally mandated. You must do this, or you're fired." So she's like, "All right." So she opens the first problem in the math book cannot figure out how many lollipops are in the back of the story problem yeah. so she sends the kids to recess and tries to figure this out and she's doing like the uh uh beautiful mind story where you know the the scientist on, yeah, the, whiteboard, on the whiteboard you have all these equations and you're going nuts and your hair's everywhere and yeah <laughs> she couldn't figure out the, 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 the most basic third yeah. grade common core math and that's me. That was it, me mm. the entire time. Oh, trying see, to that out. was me too. I, I have a, in my book. I have a I have a section about how Townsends don't do math. Mm. In fact, then we, we hand my hand that down like oh, we're not math people. Whereas I used to be addicted to math. <laughs> no, you're. We're talking math, mathematics. Yeah, I know. Yes, yeah, so I was addicted to math. Not methamphetamine. <laughs> mathematics. We're talking about mathematics. That's different. That's right. Not that you were addicted to methamphetamine. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll get to that fun, of course. Plus, a little bit later, we'll do a little uh, Oscar facts with Caitlin Thomas. Mm. She'll be joining us to talk about that. And some crazy headlines, like cars that can't seem to stop crashing into a house. What? And have you ever like parked next to a car that looked just like your car? Yeah, that's crazy. How about a car that not only looks like your car, but has your exact same license plate? Weird. Yes. We'll get to all of that in empty news. Wow. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. Suspenseful. But first to the real headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? Well, addressing critics of the botched U.S. raid on al-Qaeda militants in Yemen, Sean Spicer on Wednesday deployed an Iraqi war throwback concept. If you criticize the mission, you don't support the military. On January 29th, the raid resulted in numerous civilian deaths, including the seven-year-old daughter of the late U.S.-born al-Qaeda leader Anwar al-Awlaki, as well as one U.S. Navy SEAL named Ryan or William Ryan Owens. Asked whether the White House can still consider the raid a success despite Yemen no longer granting permission for the U.S. to do ground operations in the country. That came out the other day. Spicer replied, it's absolutely a success, and I think anyone who suggests it wasn't a success does does a disservice to the life of Chief Ryan Owens. Okay. If, if you're arguing if it was a success or not, you've already lost. Yeah. So, other Spicer news, because he was making some news yesterday. Spicy Spicer. After repeatedly making reference to a non-existent Atlanta terror attack last week, Sean Spicer now claims he clearly met Orlando. 
Okay. In an email to ABC News, the White House press secretary tried to explain away why he had cited an Atlanta attack three times in the past week as a means to defend President Trump's ban on travel from seven Muslim-majority countries. According to Spicer, when he said Atlanta, he meant... He said that when he said it on ABC News, MSNBC, and the White House press corps over the span of a few days, he actually meant the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Yeah, I think it was because the Super Bowl was on, Atlanta. A lot of facts having issues. This, by the way, and I think this is... Alternative facts. Yeah. This is a sign that you got to be nice to the press corps because then they won't beat you up on this stuff. They'll just say, oh, he just made a little mistake. Right. But now they're like, oh, Atlanta. There, there's a behavior process happening. A recent poll concluded that President Trump's administration is considered to be more truthful than the media. Hold on. Say what? A recent poll found that the Trump administration is considered more truthful than the media. Says who? Who did the poll? A poll conducted by Emerson College and published Tuesday, 49% of registered voters deemed the new administration, which has come under fire for recent untrue facts, truthful. Huh. Whereas just 48% said it was untruthful. Yeah. There's a problem with the poll, though. Oh. Emerson, they conducted the poll using only landline telephones. (laughs) Right? Which excludes half of the voting age population in the country, right. which does not have a cell or uh, does not have a, a landline. The only Who has cell a landline anymore. Well, I do, but my wife and I trend older, apparently. Okay, Grandpa. Yeah. So the poll itself is flawed. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it's it's actually the way we used to do polls, so it's actually incredibly accurate. But they need to advance to actually include cell phones. Yeah, it so only includes thirty. A third of the population. A good representation of the population. So who were they polling? They were uh, the people who have landlines are older people who who may or may not have voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. A fire broke out. This one is a scary story. Okay. Ripped from the headlines of a few months ago. Fire broke out in a Chinese factory that makes batteries for Samsung's explosion-prone Galaxy Note 7. I can't tell if yeah, you were anticipating that or dreading that. Yes, too. Okay. Samsung, the company, as SDI company, a supplier of batteries for the Galaxy Note 7, said a minor fire broke out in the plant but was quickly put out. No one was injured in the incident. The re- reason for the blaze was not immediately clear, the report said, but firefighting authority in China said the materials that caught fire were lithium-ion batteries and some semi-manufactured battery products. Mm. Now, they said it was a minor fire, but a total of 19 fire engines and more than 110 firemen were sent to the scene after the fire was reported. But it was minor. It was a minor fire. It needed 19 fire trucks, but it was minor. These (laughs) kids need to find something better to do than these miners. They need to... No, they're talking about it was a little fire. Oh, I see. Just minor. Hmm. Minor incident. So not only do the batteries catch fire, they catch fire in the plant where they make them. Wow. Wow. They tell you you got to watch out for those lithium. Yes. Who's setting plants on fire? You're supposed to talk to your plants. He's just always like one is step he can, behind. Is he to do this all day. I think. I think he has. He doesn't have enough sugar so on board. Is. Or is it oxygen? You know what he needs is a Twix bar. Ah. If only somebody had left their Twix in this room. Or right. No, I'm doing it. Oh, right. I took oh, it. I just didn't eat it. Did you? Gave it to my wife, my oh, pregnant wife. What a great guy. So if somebody, you know, gets mad at me for that, then, then shame on them. Haters going to hate. Well, I gave it to a pregnant woman. Yeah. Can't complain about that. No, no. You can't at all. I totally agree. Hey, um, here's some crazy news for you. A woman finds 
her car that's identical in a parking lot, right? And parked opposite her car is, is a car that is identical to her car. Well, that happens all the time, right? Well, I mean, you might get the same model, maybe color. Yeah. yeah. Same year. Yeah. And oh, how weird. Especially if you drive anything that's like from a fleet of rental car agency fleet, right. you know. If you drive a car that's like that. So she parked opposite uh, her car at a garden center. But what she found, though, that kind of blew her mind is she not only saw the same car she's with, you know, everything, but she saw the same car with the same license plate. That's odd. The motorist, who has not been identified, noticed that she parked next to a silver Ford SUV. And upon closer inspection last Monday, the baffled woman realized the car was the same model as hers, also the same license plate. She rang the police, who confirmed one of the SUVs was stolen last year. It had been masked by a copy by copying a genuine plate. The stolen car also contained several items connected with burglaries across the area, and investigations are now ongoing with the stolen vehicle. Because nobody should have your same license plate. Hello? But apparently, they copied a license plate. So, that is crazy. Well, now that person's going to be making a lot more license plates. Yeah, now you gotta got to make more. In jail. Hey, by the way, I'm not, I can't get too specific, but I, one time I came home from a long trip and I had left my car in my garage, okay? And my neighbors had the keys to our house and they had made a license plate. That, Im- that that reflected a license plate that was on Jerry Seinfeld's show. Oh, and, which one would that be? But don't be careful because it it um, there was a joke on the show that his friend, the crazy neighbor friend, Kramer, Kramer, had a car. Anyway, they had put that on my back on my license plate on the back of my car, and I did not know that. <laughs> and I was driving around town with that license plate on my car for about. Three days. Did you get pulled over? No. Hmm. But everyone was laughing at me, and it was pretty funny. But you can't say what that was. No. Hmm. No. But if anybody knows, it's hilarious. And if you're curious, you'll have to look it up. But I can't talk about it. Speaking of cars. Yeah. No, I want... I want you to speak of it. <laughs> okay. Speaking of cars, uh, there's a car that can't seem to stop crashing into his house. Listen to this. For the fifth time, a Maryland house has been the victim of an out-of-control car. When he crashed into the wall, I said, another car hit my house, says homeowner Leonard Miller, 88 years old. Miller has lived in the Prince George's County home since 1971. He says early Wednesday morning is the uh, at least the fifth time a car has come over a hill approaching his house, lost control, and turned at a corner, causing it to jump the curb and ram into his wall. The crashes typically happen when it's dark out, and Miller says drivers fly down the street near his house at a, at a, above the posted speed limit, and he's tired of it. It's the fifth time it's got to stop. It's a dangerous corner. Okay, you're not going to believe this. What? They actually made a movie about this. About cars that can't stop crashing into this house? Yes. Really? Hold on. I've got the trailer here. Let's listen. In the small town of Hillcrest Heights, there is a hill, and just over the hill is a house. And when it's dark out, 
something strange happens. No, 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 it's happening again! Some say there's a madman slashing people's tires. Some believe there are supernatural forces at work. Others think it's just bad driving. But whatever the cause, one thing's for sure. Cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. Horror. Horror. The house that cars couldn't seem to stop crashing into. Man, that looks good. I'm kind of creeped out. I feel bad for the guy. Leonard Miller, he sounded distressed in that trailer. Yeah. Hmm. What a great title, though. That's going to sell a lot of tickets. Cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. That's a great... Mm. It's hard to name a show, uh, a movie, and when you get a good one... Well, I mean, there's so many movies that have such a weird title that has nothing to do with the movie. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing every once in a while to just see a movie trailer that has a title that describes perfectly what happens within that movie. (laughs) Right. You know what you're getting. It's like a press headline. You know what I mean? It's just like the headline. Just go with the headline. Good stuff, folks. Hey, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about anxiety and math. Does mathematics create anxiety in you? How about in your kids? Does it stress you out? Because guess what? It's, it's stressing out a lot of people. And in fact, it's creating a shortage of young scientists. But there is a solution. Stick with us. Walking you through your math anxiety. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you are trying to get your kids, your grandkids, to be more involved in the STEM field, science, technology, mathematics, we got to we got to do something, folks. And if some people have math anxiety, um, according to our guest today, and we're going to try to sort through some things we can do. One of the ideas we've been talking about so far is look to China. China, although not everybody in China has the same opportunity. China is doing an incredible job on STEM subjects, and um, there's a lot to learn. Our guest is Dr. Um, Kaispert Stute. He is a professor in psychology at Leeds Beckett University in the UK, and we're honored to have him on the show to walk us through how we can uh, deal with our math anxiety and the math anxiety of our our children. Uh, Dr. Stute, thank you for being with us. Yeah, uh, again, I mean, it's a pleasure to talk to you. This is fun. I mean, honestly, for me, you're helping me walk through my history of math anxiety. Oh, right. Um, talk about it because, again, like we were talking before the break, that these kids want to play video games, but they don't necessarily – and they may even want a job in the video game world, but they don't understand that to get a job in the video game world, they're going to need to know some math and science. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what is really interesting is that if you have uh, a background, say, in mathematics or in, say, a technology-related subjects such as physics, um, you know, like your salary will likely be uh, 
higher yeah. than when you choose uh, another profession. So, so what we often we talk about the STEM subjects. It's a little bit a confusing term, but it stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And within STEM, you have, you know, you have, you have actually it's a very broad range of subjects. But if you look at it, you see that. People who have a STEM education, they will earn more money. And, you know, you know there is something called the gender wage gap. Mm-hmm. That means, you know, if, if you take the income from all men, say, in the United States, and if you take the income from all women in the United States, now, men earn uh, somewhat more money. Now, that's in part because many women go part-time when they have children and right. so on. But another factor that plays into that is that more men than women... Uh, choose uh, STEM subjects, uh, uh, like you know, like mathematics-related subjects, and that earns you often uh, a higher salary. In part, I mean, I think that these jobs uh, get a higher salary because they are considered to be somewhat more difficult. So, it is, so studying math uh, and the related subjects is a really good investment for yourself and for your children. So, if you think this is important, you know, like make sure that your kids. You know, don't neglect that. And when they have an opportunity in school, you know, like to, when they have school choices, you know, say when they can choose between some, like a fun subject that might be easy or maybe a harder subject like you know, physics or something, if, if, if you think they can do it, but they're just not, not super motivated, then I would just try to convince them to keep that subject because having those subjects really gives you an advantage. It doesn't close doors. Um, right. So that that I think is a really important an important thing. Um, another thing that you know I think for for parents, of course, this is is very difficult. I mean, but I think what what you know one thing that we can recommend parents is you know you know so it, it's difficult for parents to specifically help with mathematics, especially if you are not so good at in or you know or you, you have been to school so long ago. So as a parent, it might be help, might be difficult for you to help your children directly, but you can help them indirectly by creating the environment in which their learning can flourish, mm. and that means like you know, an environment in which you take those temptations away. You know, like just you know, if you have a PlayStation, at least set rules for it. You know, say okay, well you can play with your PlayStation, for example, only half an hour a day right. after a certain time, only after you've finished your homework. We also, connect it to grades. I, They've got to get good yeah. grades in order to have their phone, and their grades have to include their their chemistry, their physics, their math grades as well. So, it, but it, here's another important point that that you know you, that might be more difficult for you so, yourself and for your listeners, and that's this. And I've just re- read about that this week. That was based on some more research that people did. If you want that your children are not constantly on the phone. As a parent, you have to set a good example exactly. yourself. You got to so model. If you are constantly on the phone, then you shouldn't be surprised that your kids are on the phone all the time. So this is very, this is of course very difficult because you know we are so used to this technology. Um, so that's very difficult. But I think you know. So I think that's something where you know, like, you you need to think about as a parent. So if you want that your kids, you know, behave themselves well, you need to do it yourself as well. It seems like too we. It's totally tricky, and we. One of the problems we may run into is we think that we're either good at math or and science or we're just not. And, it, and one of the things that China seems to be blowing up is they're going to just get good at it over time. The belief is you'll learn how to do it. It's not just you're inherently born with an understanding. 
you might have certain gifts at it, but in China, we just keep working at it. We just keep doing it. Exactly. And, and here's an interesting fact, right? So, you know, even the children that are really, you know, say, let's say the, 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 the less well-performing children in China, certainly in the urban areas, they still, you know, they are as good in mathematics as your best children in the U.S. Yeah. So, so because they are so far ahead in, in mathematics teaching. And, of course, one of the interesting things as well for your listeners to, li- to, to think about is this, you know, you know, China has invested very heavily in education for, you know, for, for quite some time now. So that means that, you know, as a nation, it can compete on many levels, I mean, in terms of, like, you, what it produces. Um, but for, for them, that's good. You know, they are opening many uni- new universities. But, you know, in order, so in order to be a partner of the same strengths, I think the United States needs to think about investing in education mm. as well. And I think this, you know, if you look at the international rankings for school children, the United States just don't do that well. That is, a, that's, that is quite scary. Yeah. On the other hand, of course, the universities in the United States, they, are, you know, they belong to the best in the world. So as you said yourself before, that is in part because the United States is an attractive country to live in. So the United States can compensate for these problems by importing right. uh, people. So, Which gets to our big time. immigration issue, because we really are. We're importing a lot of people from Asia to, to our universities to, to not only go to college, but more importantly, really to, to run our run our higher STEM, you know, companies. Yeah, I, I guess that is right. And of course, uh, um, you know, I mean, you know, many of those people, of course, they will stay. And so they contribute to the society, you know, they pay tax, so yeah. they create a better society. So, right. so they become Americans. So as long as you then keep that that investment by you know by training those people and and keeping them and contributing to American society, then you have a benefit there because you know there are there will there will be very few Americans that move to China. So so in, in a way you know even though you know of course I, I understand there are issues with you know like if you have too much immigration that right. can lead to tensions in society, but in many ways there is also a benefit if you import highly skilled. Exactly. China because they have to, they have, you know, they, they contribute very highly to society. So that is a very good thing. And, well, we you know, could import. have a lot of space. You know, it's a big country. So right. have a lot. Well, I've been, I've lived right, in America right. for a long time. You know, Midwest is almost empty, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. so in, in a way, so it's. <laughs> we we can be importing, but we, like but. you're saying too, we could also be investing in education and then get the benefit of both. Import the best in and educate the best from within. It's uh, it sounds like the perfect combination. Well, we appreciate you um, so much, and and this uh, just your your insight into this. We've gotten so many ideas, um, and really, it sounds like one of the most important is parents. We need to lead. We need to lead out, uh, Doctor um, Kaispert Stute. We appreciate all the work you're doing. Keep it up, and uh, keep writing about this math anxiety. And parents, let's keep doing what we can to to not neglect this anymore. If if you weren't great at math create conditions for your kids as we were just taught to do so let's figure out a way to spend more on it as well powerful stuff folks this is the matt townsend show we'll take a break come back when we come back we'll be talking about uh, oscar facts with caitlin thomas stick with us
Welcome back, friends. The Oscars is one of the most anticipated and watched events on television. And this year it won't be any different with some big films and some big names being nominated. I'm sure that many Americans will be tuning in. Our very own Caitlin Thomas is here to help us uh, as she shares some interesting and less well-known facts about the Oscars to get us all a little more excited for the big event. Hello, Caitlin. Good morning. Are you big into the Oscar? Um, I mean, yeah. Our family—it's kind of more of a tradition than anything yeah. else. We make our brackets. Do you really? Yeah, it's lots of fun though. It makes oh, it, see, it makes I don't get into it. Jeffrey, I'm sure does. Do you Jeff make brackets, movies. Jeff? I I don't have brackets, um, <clears throat> but I do enjoy the Oscars. Yeah, I think you were hoping for a better answer it's than just, that. It's just <laughs> kind of a fun thing. But it's good to know it's you don't have brackets. It's just in our history, you know. Yeah, we make we have like a, a paper that we print off online and we fill Do you it really? out. I had a bad a case of brackets one I time. I thought you had rickets. Mm-hmm. This Wait. music, I love it. So, um, <laughs> this is I, again. I'm one who I will not be watching. Anymore. I know, I know you don't love this, but that's why I wanted to talk about it because there are some cool Te- things. Give me some. That I give me some deets. You. Do you know the youngest Oscar winner was Tatum O'Neill, who won Best Supporting Actress for Paper Moon in 1973 when she was only 10 years old? Tatum O'Neill. <gasps> she wow. was 10. She won an That's Oscar amazing. She was Great movie, by the what way. What were you doing at 10, by the way? Oof. I was just getting in trouble. I was not, yeah. I was and doing math. That's the youngest. The oldest, um, at 82 years old, Christopher Plummer became the oldest person to win for an Academy beginners. Award. Yeah. Sorry. In 2010, opposite Ewan McGregor. Really? 82 is the oldest. 82 is the oldest, and then 10 is the youngest. Okay, that's good. What a, you, what a range. You and McGregor? Well, Ewan. 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 Oh, Ewan, Ewan. McGregor. Ewan. Okay. Okay. Um, that's a cool point. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't discriminate. 10 to 82, age, you're, you're viable. Right? Um, Peter Finch for Network and Heath Ledger, The Dark Knight, are the only actors to be awarded an Academy Award after they had passed away. Oh, really? So posthumously? Posthumous. I don't know how to say that word. Whatever. It's good. So there's only two that have been given that honor. Yeah, you think more. Yeah, you think there'd be more. This one's cool. Ben-Hur, the 1959 version. Yeah. Titanic and Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King are the most successful films in Oscar history, each winning a shocking 11 Oscars. The Return of the King is the only one to win every award for which it was nominated. Woohoo! Really? Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. Because the, the latest Ben-Hur didn't do so well. No, remember, that was one of our flops. Yeah, but it's it seems like it'd still be a great movie. I, I don't know. Okay. So that that was pretty cool. That's so really go Lord cool. of the Rings. They won every single award that they were nominated for. That's cool. That's... I think I remember watching it that year because I, I think everybody was just kind of freaking out. They're, yeah, they're good. But not, not like surprise. That movie was pretty phenomenal. What so. was the name of that little Lord of the Rings guy? Which one? The funny one? Gollum. Gollum, and then Gollum walks up. Do you remember when he Gollum walked up? Gollum is not funny. Do you remember when Gollum, the scary little Gollum guy, walked up to accept his award and he couldn't even lift it? That was great. And he was, what was he saying to it? My precious. precious. <laughs> yeah. Precious Oscar. Oh, my gosh. Scary. Actually, that's Gollum. kind of incredible because he was on a green screen the whole time he would film. He, he should have been nominated he for an Oscar. Nominated. No kidding. Oh, he wasn't. No. That's kind of a big debate in the voiceover world, and it wasn't even a voiceover performance because, like you he said, was on a green he screen. was performing. He acted the whole thing. Je- Jeff does voiceover work, so he's he's trying to argue for the need for a voiceover Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it's acting. There have been so many great voiceover performances. Name one. Uh, let's see here. Yoda. Yoda. 
That's right. And he that was not green screen, so that was just Frank oh, Oz. Just, yeah, that, and he wasn't he a puppet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Puppeteer? Oh, don't Puppeteer. don't say that. Now you're blowing it up for me. I'm s- oh, you thought he was just well, some thought, really old was, guy. Yeah. Okay, moving on to Kay. some new facts. What are some other In points? 1940, this one was funny. The LA Times broke the Academy's embargo and published the names of all the Oscar winners prior to the awards ceremony. Oh, so, that's the way they should do it today. As a result, the Academy introduced the sealed envelope tradition. That's really good. With the accounting firm, whatever the accounting firm is. <laughs> way to go, LA Times. Anderson Consulting. Yeah. I thought it was Pepion, Pepion, and Leibowitz. Oh, great law firm. <laughs> the legendary Alfred Hitchcock was nominated five times for Best Director. So I think that's one Did of the most. Did he win? Most, but he never, never won. won. Never won a single time. See, they were that was see. It's so political. So political. Oh my god. He's hated in Hollywood. Yeah. Just has a horrible reputation. They did give him an honorary Oscar. Honorary. Yeah. So it's like a same. participation. It's medal. Not the same. Yeah. Hey, everyone gets one. Hey, give him a jersey. Hey, they all weigh the same. They all go for the same on eBay. I'm sure. Every kid gets an award, a medal, and a T-shirt. Anyway, give us one more. We've got time for Last one more. Last one. Only three films have won all of the big five Academy Award categories. It happened one night in 34, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 75, Silence of the Lambs in 91, and the big five categories are Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Actress, and Best Screenplay. Wow! So only three films have won every single Wait, one Wait, what was the, the last one again? Uh, After... Silence of the Lambs. Oh. Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and it happened Scary. one night. So. You could see history repeated this year because La La Land has been nominated for all of those. Tied yeah, for the most the nominations it, ever. Because it got tied. eleven, La so La it would, it's right up there with all of those well, ones we mentioned earlier. Caitlin, thanks. You're our Academy Award winner. I'm excited. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Is helping your kid with ma- their math homework uh, or adding up your family's budget, for example, a nightmare for you? Do you put it off? Do you dish it off to your spouse? Anything, because it's just driving you to be so anxious. Because if so, you may have math anxiety, and uh, whatever your reason for disliking mathematics, you are not alone. It's uh, it's a pretty common thing. I myself suffer from math anxiety. Mine, I believe, started when I was in third grade and my teacher used to create a competition for us as we did our times tables. She'd line us up and if you weren't quick, if you weren't quickly able to get the times table out and say it first, then um, she, these, these were her exact words because there were two rows. Losers, losers out, losers out. Winners stay in the line. Losers out. Winners stay in the line. And she'd put two lines and we'd compete against each other. So I think I created – I got my anxiety by having math competitions at too young of an age. But our guest today is going to walk us through other reasons why we might have math anxiety, how to fix some of our math anxiety and the impact it's having on our lives. Joining us today is Kaispert Stute. He is a, a professor in psychology at, at Leeds Beckett University, 
and his uh, he's been researching a lot about education and how um, psychology and education uh, interact with each other. Dr. Stute, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, asking me. It's an honor to be on your show. You bet. This is um, for me. This math anxiety. This is what caught my attention because it, it's it, it really. There's a lot of people that are afraid, that, that are anxious when they're doing math. What are you finding in your research about math anxiety? Well, we have looked uh, in particular at international differences. So there are some countries where math anxiety is higher than in other countries. So that's one thing that we look at. And we are interested in this because uh, mathematics is, of course, very important for uh, international competition. So, for example, you know, there's a competition, say, with China, which is a very highly productive country. Right. Uh, the United States wants to be such a country, and many European countries as well. So it's important for all the countries to make sure that their children are good in mathematics. And mathematics anxiety can be like sort of like an obstacle that keeps children from choosing mathematics and related subjects. So that, that's actually hmm. so that's one of the main reasons why we looked into this. That's right? good. And so one of the things that we were particularly interested in are the differences between boys and girls. Yeah. Because girls turn out to be more anxious of mathematics than boys. And also, again, you know, that, that, that can lead to a loss of talent. So people might not choose mathematics because, you know, in school because they... They are afraid of it, so people might 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 actually not choose it for the wrong for the wrong reason because anxiety is never really a good reason, you know, to, right. to base your decisions on. So, so well, the story that you told actually just about your school, you know, that's that's a terrible example of what teachers can do because you know I think nowadays probably teachers are much more sensitive yeah. to those sort of things. I mean, and everything so it doesn't. I mean, there's a time and a place for competition. It just might not be. You know, when you're doing your th- your three times tables uh, in third grade, you know, maybe at the end of the year, maybe. But um, it, talk about it because anxiety and it's funny. I never would have maybe called it anxiety until I was a little older. But you have a background in cognitive psychology. I mean, is it is it actually is it the same manifestation as just, you know, social anxiety or generalized anxiety? Yeah. Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, so mass anxiety as such has been studied uh, since the early 1970s, hmm. uh, actually started in America. And uh, yeah, people think that it is certainly related to, to other types of anxiety. Now, I think there are extreme cases. There's some people who are, you know, really extremely afraid of mathematics. Um, I, you know, I, so, so those children, they, you know, they would... They would, they they might be unusual, so that they really would get sweaty and nervous and so on. Uh, so there are some researchers who say it is related to a sort of like general test anxiety. Mm. So some people might be generally afraid, you know, like being tested. It can be an unpleasant experience. Uh, but but you know, on the whole, psychologists sort of like you know take this type of anxiety as a separate type of anxiety from the other types of anxiety that you just have mentioned, so yeah. social anxiety. Now, what can you do about it? I mean, of course, your listeners would be interested in hearing about this as well. Yeah. And so, so, so one of the, the first things that researchers have asked is, well, what causes what? You know, and this is an important question. Are you mass anxious because you are bad 
in you know, because you're not so good in mathematics, or is it the other way around? Mm-hmm. You know, are you bad in mathematics because you're anxious? So that is actually, it turns out that that is actually a very difficult question. You know, it is like a chicken and the egg question. Right. What, what comes first? And you know, the reality is that we, we don't know for sure what the story here is because, you know, you, it's almost impossible to investigate. Um, so there are some people... Uh, who have done research on exactly that question, what causes what, and they think that it's actually the mathematics ability itself that, you know, or lack thereof that causes the math anxiety. So if you're not so good in mathematics, then you're more likely to be uh, afraid of it. So one of the things that we can do in order to reduce mathematics anxiety is actually to give people more training in mathematics. Mm. And of course... Yeah, sensible training. What your teacher did, that, that example, that is very bad. You know, so certainly things such as confidence play a role in it. So if you break children's confidence, which they did with you in yeah. school, well, and it seems know, like they set you up for a really bad start. Right. So that's also, and I think, but as I say, I mean, I think nowadays the teachers are far more sensitive of these issues. Uh, you know, things have changed so much in education. You know, of course, today we don't have physical punishment anymore and it's actually it's, if you think about it that's it's not even that long ago that you know, that that probably would happen in school mm-hmm. you know, like maybe 50 years ago where like a teacher would just uh you know smack a child uh, right you know, these things happened and fortunately you know we we were lucky that you know our children don't need to endure that anymore so things have changed teachers are more sensitive and so on so i think that's a major improvement but do we also it's, but there's still yeah well yeah, i was just thinking one one issue is because um, and this I could even see of having having happened to me is that every every year you get a new teacher and every teacher might do it a little differently and some might be more gifted at teaching than others and so if you all of a sudden and math builds on itself right so if you have one bad year you might start to become deficient or and then the minute you're deficient you're always playing catch up which I could see inducing anxiety. Because there's not always a standard way to teach and there's not always a standard ability to be the teacher that teaches. And so, I mean, again, yeah, like you were just saying, a little anxiety could come just simply from getting a little behind. And math, once you're a little behind, you tend to be a big behind. And what you say about teaching, I mean, that's a very good point because – what we know from all research, you know, not only about mathematics, but about other subjects as well, the quality of teachers is probably one of the most important factors in the success of mm. children. So what we, you know, in the international comparisons, we, we look at other countries where people are pretty good in mathematics, such as China. And there, you know, the teaching is very different. So the, the teachers, for example, that, that teach the, the, the kids, they are specialized on their subject Whereas in many Western countries, um, teachers are more, uh, they, they can do a little bit of everything. And they teach an age. super specialized. Yeah, right. They, we, yeah, they, so, yeah, we so specialize what, on age. They specialize yeah. on topic, subject. On topic. And so that is, you know, if, my rec- if I would be, uh, if I could make recommendations to like, the Department of Education in your country or yeah. in your state, I would probably say, well, you know, like, you know, like, look at how they work in China and try to learn from that. So they... So, so one of the things uh, that they also do is the the their increase of difficulty level each year is probably a little bit slower than say in Western countries. 
where children are, you know, like very rapidly need to learn all sorts of new skills. So there they they learn sort of like more basic tasks for a longer time and then gradually step up. But the children are learning the things that they learn, you know, very intensively. So they, they're, you know, their times tables, you know, they, they know them very well. And just these basic skills, they are, you know, almost then, you know, like uh, hardwired, you know, like engraved in their brains. So they are very good in these basic skills and they that helps them to learn the more difficult skills. Mm. Uh, more easily, whereas yeah. in, in you know in the West, so, so we have failed in that, I think. And if you look at the international comparisons, it's interesting. The East Asian countries they do so well in mathematics, and it's also the case if you see, for example, I work at the university. When I get Chinese students, um, you know, when I get female Chinese students, I see a level of confidence which I don't see in most western female students you know when it comes to working you know with with stem subjects with you know with science and mathematics yeah you know they're not afraid of it at all, at all but they all have had uh mathematics at a high level until they left school so there is you know no gap in their mathematics experience and so on so if we think mathematics is important which we certainly, and you wouldn't have called me if you wouldn't right. think it's important. If you think it's important, I think we need to invest a lot more in teaching mathematics at a higher level. We need to invest more in the teachers, and I think we need to learn from countries where people do this very successfully. Talk about China, China's advantage, and the numbers that you brought up in your article um, about China, they're staggering, really. China is so far ahead that they really are, I guess, the standard, um, is it really, I guess it's the difference where I look at our math and it seems like we we try to do everything. Okay, have you got your three college or your have you got your three math credits for high school? But in China, it's like, no, you're going to be doing this your entire life until you die. We're going to be doing math yeah. from beginning to end, not just um, – not just to get you your your college math credit so you can go to college. Well, that, that's one of the things. But I think what is important as well is that, um, you know, so what is, I think, quite unique about the Chinese uh, secondary school system is, unlike in the West, they don't have as much choice as, you know, children in Western Europe or in America have. So, you know, in, in your country, people can, you know, often at an early age, maybe when they're 14 years old, say, well, I don't like physics, so I'm not going, you know, I'm going to drop that from my, from my mm-hmm. program. It, certainly in Great Britain, that's how we, how we do it as well. In the Netherlands, that's how it used to be. Actually, they have changed it a little bit. The problem is that children at that young age are actually not capable themselves. They're not mature enough to make these important decision of, decisions about their occupational future. Now, you cannot really let a 14-year-old make a choice about will you be a mathematician in the future or a physicist or a doctor. They're too young for it. So what they do in China, they let children, you know, they sort of like children are forced to have a specific curriculum until they are really mature enough to make the right choices. And that is good because that means that kids can make a better informed choice when they're a little bit older. So, for example, to go to university, because they, all the options are still open to them. Whereas in you know, many Western countries, 
you know, we give them choice. We think we give them freedom, but actually we take things away from them because we don't, you know, because they often make these choices yeah. for the wrong reasons. Right. Now, girls often, they make these, cho- you make the wrong choices for like sort of like stereotypical reasons like math is not for girls. You know, that is, that is certainly something that we see. Uh, boys for other reasons. I mean, we, we, you know, we have certainly in the U.S., around the world actually, boys fall behind in education because in part... They spend too much time on uh, things such as video gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a massive problem. So if we really want to improve our system, you know, we really should think about that as well. You know, we we need more discipline, I think, with yeah. children. No, I think you're right. There are so many temptations for children that we, you know, when you and I were younger, I mean, yeah. You know, well, on a Sunday, actually, it was really boring because the stores were closed. There was right. nothing to do. You know, like there were two channels on television, and they started in the evening. So. Right. Uh, you know, okay, so yeah, you were going to read a book and you would learn from that. But nowadays, of course, you know, there's so much entertainment. You have the PlayStation and you have the mobile phones and so on. So for kids, you know, we, we, we put children in this very difficult situation because they have an immature brain. They cannot make the right choices. And, of course, they go for the... For the, for the for the fun stuff, you know, if I would be yeah. a kid, I would do that. You Who would right? But it's not good for kids, and That's we right. see that as soon as a boy gets a game console, their school performance drops. Not just in mathematics, in everything. So that's something where I think we really need to, you know. So it's a new phenomenon yeah. that that we are seeing, but we haven't, as a society, we, we haven't responded to it yet. Yeah, we haven't addressed it the way we should. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, more with Dr. Heisberg Stute, and we're going to continue this discussion about math anxiety and uh, some solutions we can have around it, folks. This uh, it's a real deal, and we got to pick up our game. We, if if not, we won't have a future in science and tech. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joined here by Jeffrey Simpson. No relation to Bart or Homer or OJ. Or OJ. Boy, the Simpson name has totally been slandered. You need to pick that game up, my friend. What are you talking about? OJ is winning all sorts of awards these days. Oh, yeah. You got OJ, you got Bart and um, Homer, and you have Ashley Simpson. Mm-hmm. So, and then you've got Jeff Simpson, the voiceover mm-hmm. master. OJ, Future Academy OJ Award is winning all sorts of awards, or at least movies about him. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, OJ himself isn't, even though he would, don't get me wrong, incredible actor. Nobody could jump luggage like OJ. And I love how Jimmy Fallon during the Golden Globes just recently said, uh, nobody's thanking OJ during these acceptance speeches. Yeah. These people that win for the movie about OJ well, Simpson. Right. Because there's the documentary and then there's the <laughs> miniseries on FX. We just want to thank O.J. No, you can't thank him. That was horrible. You, we, How old were you? I had to live through that whole thing. Yeah, but without O.J., they would not have been standing up on that stage. Yeah. Good. Accepting that award. But it wouldn't, life would have been better. I guess that was – Not yeah. to. Hmm. 
Not to go all crazy on you. Hey, we got a great show for you this next hour. Um, We will be getting into some very, what's the word, Uh, creative conversations you need to be having with your kids. Intentional conversations and how to create an intentional conversation with your kids. Because otherwise you just get, how was your day? Good. What did you do? Nothing. You know, use your words. There's got to be some kind of a gauge that you can use. Like, how long do I talk to my five-year-old about such and such a topic before they tune out? They're probably... Like five seconds? Well, but then it would depend on your kid, right? Because some in your relationship and your ability to create an interesting conversation and their attention span and if they have food in front of them. Because if my kids have food in front of them... I have more of their attention. And some kids just never stop talking. Okay. Yeah. Just go back and say everything that you just said one more time, just in case I wasn't listening. (laughs) Wow. I think I see the problem here. We will um, be talking about intentional conversations with Heather Johnson, plus, uh, of course, visiting our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We'll get into a hero story, and we will be deciding if this music is actually Italian or Greek, because today we're celebrating National Pizza Day. Okay, here, listen to this. L'orchestra del paese ci vuole far ballare, e allora tutti pronti in pista noi scendiamo, mano nella mano. It does sound a little more Greek. Sounds a little more Greek. Mono is hand in Spanish and I think Italian. Nah. We'll find out. Don, I'm sure, is listening to it, and um, Don will then send a report and probably a couple of his uh, strong arms to come talk to you about it. He's got some people that work for him. Yeah, that's pretty much Greek. Guaranteed. But we are celebrating um, National Pizza Day, the day that you, whatever the size crust you like, whatever toppings you want on it, still, today we celebrate the joy that only pizza can bring. You telling me the Greek don't make pizzas? They do. Greek pizza. Hmm. Yeah. They also, today's the day you celebrate the uh, the burning of the top, the roof of your mouth. That yes. loss of That loss of... A feeling, or, a numbness. Or freezing part of your mouth, depending on what part of the hot pocket you're biting into. <laughs> but hot pocket, it's not hot pocket day. And just to keep that But clear, some people might day. consider that pizza. Yeah. And they're called delusional. Mm-hmm. Today. Grab a, grab a pizza pie, share it with a friend, invite over a neighbor, and just share the joy. Don't and, throw a pizza on anybody's roof. No. Why? Nobody know that reference? Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I don't watch stuff a, like that. Weird episode. You just tosses a big pizza on the roof and it sat there for a while. It's weird. And it's apparently great. Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, had to tweet uh, to his fans saying, stop throwing pizza on the Breaking Bad house because yep. the owner of the home was getting fed up with it. People visit, getting fed. They visit this home in New Mexico. And just drive by and kind of stare at it like, that's that's that house. That's, <laughs> that's the house. But, of course, they just took outside shots of the house. The inside was oh, some studio somewhere else. That's but, so sad. Yeah. I've been there. I did People not throw harassed. pizza on the roof. Don't though. you hate it when your house is more famous than you? Mm. It's rough. Like the Brady Bunch house. It's hard. 
Right. It's really hard. So we'll get to all that fun. The poltergeist house. The poltergeist yeah. house. Yeah. Sorry. Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Home Sorry. alone. <laughs> but first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Luxury department store chain Nordstrom on Wednesday addressed President Trump's public chastising of their decision to drop his daughter Ivanka's brand by reiterating it was solely due to her line's poor sales figures. My daughter Ivanka has been treated so unfairly by Nordstrom. She is a great person, always pushing me to do the right thing. Terrible, the president fumed on Twitter. So apparently we're supposed to make business decisions on if someone's a good person or not. Hmm. Not if they actually move a product that people yeah. want to buy it. Did they at least say, we're going to put your line at uh, Nordstrom Rack? No. Oh. His press secretary, Sean Spicer, claimed that the president acted appropriately because Nordstrom's decision was a direct attack on Trump's policies. Hmm. They were saying that because Nordstrom put out a, a letter to anyone to their staff, to all their employees. If anyone's been affected by the immigration issues, please let us know. We'd like to help. So that means they're attacking him politically now. His press secretary said that. So after briefly dipping, Nordstrom stock rebounded in a big way. It was up nearly 5% by the end of day. Not a bad day. A day when the rest of the market was essentially flat, the LA Times reports. A financial reporter for the Seattle Times tweeted that Wednesday was Nordstrom's sixth best day on the market in the past year and ninth best day in the past five years. Thanks, Donald Trump. So the Trump Twitter effect didn't work the way it has for Boeing and for right. GM and all these other companies. Their, tank, their uh, stock didn't. You know, tank, it actually improved on the day. Okay. Well, there's seven happy people. Now, employees at Marshalls and TJ Maxx, both owned by TJX companies, were told to discard Ivanka Trump in-store marketing signs and to mix her merchandise into the racks as the retailer distances themselves from the first daughter's brand. Oh, boy. So let's see what happens to them. Uh, other news, the Big 12 Athletic Conference will withhold money from Baylor University while it investigates the college's response to the sexual assault scandal that has plagued the Baptist school's football program for more than a year. In a Wednesday announcement, the conference said it would keep 25% of the Texas University's annual payouts until the proper execution of controls is independently verified. Uh, Big 12 Chairman David Boren, the president of the University of Oklahoma, said by taking these actions, the board desires to ensure that the changes that were promised are actually made and that systems are in place to avoid future problems. This is an issue that costs the president, a chancellor, the athletic director, the football coach... All their jobs, yeah, and yet the league is still going to keep seventy-five percent of their purse. Twenty-five percent. Oh, twenty-five percent of their purse, but they're doing it to help them. Yeah, but the school says we're in Texas. Football's a big deal, so it's not going to hurt us at all. Okay. <laughs> their response to it was kind of funny. Um, other sports-related news. I know you're 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 looking for these. Major League Baseball plans on testing a new rule. Uh, to change in the minor leagues this season that automatically would place a runner on second base to start extra innings. Oh, wow. Speed up the <laughs> extra inning game. The rule would also be implemented in the upcoming World Baseball Classic next month. Major League Baseball could ex experiment with the rule in the Gulf Coast League or Arizona League, which there's some other minor leagues that are out there. Yeah. Um, they say it's not fun to watch when you go through your whole pitching staff. Pitching staffs could have like... 10, 11 guys, and you go through them all. <laughs> and so you wind up bringing in a utility infielder, a non-pitcher, to actually finish the game off because the game has gone so long with extra innings. So if they put a guy starting in the 10th inning on second base, there's an easier chance for them to score and end the game. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, why don't they just put a gator out there? Gator We've ball already works. talked about gator ball. One alligator could change the entire game. 
They're just trying to come up with something more interesting because their numbers are slipping. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They're more of a regional sport now. Now, what they ought to do, if they really want their ratings to go up, mm. put them out there in Lady Gaga's boots. There you go. On second base. Meat outfits. And a meat outfit, and then let one gator loose. Just one. Yep. And finally, in honor of Pizza Day, Kentucky yes. Fried Chicken. Yeah. They have a new pizza. <gasps> oh, that, ooh. Barbecue? A, a chicken crust pizza. What? Yeah. How does that work? Is it like a chicken taco? This this will be uh, uh, available in the Philippines. So figure that one out. The chain is famous for its double down sandwich. Yeah. Uh, so it features that's the bun made out of fried chicken patties. That's the double down sandwich, right? The patties were transformed into a hot dog bun in the Philippines earlier this year. They just okay. folded the chicken. Right, right, right. Now the chain is selling KFC cheese. So like. C H I Z Z A chicken mm-hmm. pizza cheese oh, yeah, yeah, the pizza features Cheesy. it features fried chicken as crust in locations across the Philippines a slab of fried chicken is covered with pizza sauce cheese and other toppings like pineapple green peppers and then it's baked oh see now that sounds good I'd be willing to try that so then it says this deep fried cheese sauce slathered monstrosity has also proved to be so popular KFC is bringing it to Singapore. So it's spreading. Ah, like a virus. The company also released a video which bears the uncanny resemblance to the uh, another recipe. So, yeah. so It's that's, like bird flu. That's what it looks like. You got like a chicken patty and then you build a pizza on top of oh, it. Oh, and it's the crunchy style. Yeah. Mm. Can, you, can you in good conscience, though, consume something that has been described as a monstrosity? Yes. As long as it looks like that. As long as it's under five bucks. <laughs> I'll do it. Oh, that's good. Okay, we'll talk to Sports Nation about that. So a chicken patty, mm-hmm. and then you put tomato sauce on it, mm. cheese, or mm-hmm. whatever you want. You just yeah. kind of build up kind of a personal pizza. Sure. Yeah. A cheese Yeah. This is great because there have been times when I haven't, I couldn't decide if I wanted fried chicken or pizza. Yeah. And now I can have both. I used to, I couldn't decide if I wanted heart bypass surgery or if I just wanted to die in my sleep. Right. So now I just choose the cheese and I, I can, you can have, have heart bypass and die in my sleep. Both. Why? Why not? This is a wonderful country. You can you can have it all. This is actually in Singapore. Yeah, so it's, it's really not here. It's not in our country yet. I think the FDA won't allow it in the country. You can't have chicken. You can have chicken or you can have pizza. You can't have chicken as your pizza. Base. I appreciate the Greek music playing behind the pizza story. Yeah. I'm telling you, Don's going to come down here. He's going to back me up. Uh, he's going to back you into a corner, and then we'll have to turn off the radio. Hmm. That's what's going to happen. It's going to get ugly. Hey, um, talk about sports news. A Massachusetts couple names their son that was born during the Super Bowl. They named him Brady. They should have named him Gronk for Gronkowski. He wasn't playing, but Gronk yeah. is a better name, I think, for a kid. Can you believe that? The, I mean, you'd have to, really. So Sean Gaffney says he decided that if Plymouth's couple, if the Plymouth couple's fourth child was born, the Patriots would erase their 28-3 to deficit. The 7.7-pound baby boy was born at 8.49 p.m. Sunday. And the mom, Colleen, says literally right after the baby was born, they started to come back. The Patriots rallied and ended up winning the game 34-28. to in their victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Their son was named uh, after the Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. They should have named him just MVP. 
Brady has an older brother and two older sisters, including six-year-old Quinn, named after the dad's favorite Notre Dame quarterback, Brady Quinn. The family dog is named Rudy after the inspirational Notre Dame walk-on, Daniel Rudy Rudinger. Rudiger. So let me get this straight. He named him Brady. Yes. If, uh, but if Matt, if the Falcons had won, would he have named him Matt? No, because apparently he was a Patriots Ryan, fan. maybe Ryan. I don't know. They should have named him Jersey because like, Tom Brady's jersey was stolen. Oh, yeah. That's all the people are going to remember. 12, they could have named him 12. Apparently with the jersey, there was a scam that happened previously. Michael Strahan, yeah. he now works for ABC News. He was a uh, right. defensive lineman for the Giants. The Giants won a Super Bowl. His jersey was stolen in the locker room and replaced before he knew it. That sounds like so a he, great movie idea. So he yeah. ended up... Quite a heist. It's like an Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12. Mm-hmm. So he ended up having this counterfeit jersey yeah. that he thought it was his, and he had a frame of my jersey Hold from the Super it. Bowl. This is crazy. And then the actual jersey was sold online for thousands of dollars. But did you notice Strahan was on the field... Huh? And carried the trophy down forever, and so I, so maybe Strahan, may, maybe Strahan took the jersey to, to recoup his but loss of his own jersey. I, I was reading something yesterday. They feel that Brady foiled a plot like that by noticing before the jersey was replaced that it was gone. Ah. So everyone starts looking. Whoever may have been coming by to drop off a jersey just yeah. sort of left, and now mm-hmm. there's this missing jersey that the Texas Rangers, not the baseball team, are now looking for. Excellent. So, like, but yeah. Who knows? Maybe they have the baseball team out there too. More hands, more bodies. Yeah, you can't have enough people looking for this. Tom Brady's always ruining a good heist. Totally. Uh, or he's involved in one. Yeah, mm. might be a scam that way too. Wow, look mm. at that. Just bringing that in there. Uh, okay. Well, we hope we we really do. We hope uh, the Brady, the new baby Brady. I hope he he's fine. As no one will know that. I have a son-in-law named Brady. It's a great name. And I hope Tom Brady finds his jersey, but honestly, it doesn't matter because we did find out that KFC has chicken crust pizza. And that that song was, in fact, Italian. Probably Greek. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, Heather Johnson will be joining us. We're talking about creating intentional conversations with our kids. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio with us is Heather Ann Johnson. Hatch, we call her. She is our our family activity expert. She is a professor here at Brigham Young University and has been an adjunct faculty member for the last 12 years. She also um, has a wonderful website, familyvolley.com, and has written a book that you really got to go um, find called Family Fun Fridays. Is that right? That's right. Because you're you're still writing the other books. Right. For the rest of the days of the week. You're working on that. Because you can have fun any day, really. You can. You can. It's not just a one-day fun. It's true. (laughs) We should be having fun every day. We should. And the fun thing about today's discussion, you're going to teach us how to have – create an intentional conversation with our kids. Yeah. Which is hard because sometimes they don't use words. They they don't use words or they don't come to us. Uh-huh. And the hard thing is – and we can get to this as we work through today. 
We expect them to, yeah. and we kind of set ourselves up to fail a little bit because we have this expectation of them, and when they don't meet it, we retreat. Oh, yeah. Instead of recognizing that we're the adults with more experience mm-hmm. and more knowledge, and we actually need to go to them first. We're the big people. We are, and we need to be big, right? And, yeah. And Instead of acting like we're 13 and are in junior high and treat them like children, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we get our feelings hurt, right? Or. We have a little pride or they don't we're know, tired. They don't know how – they shouldn't know how to do this because that's your job is to teach them how to have conversations. So when they go through something difficult, they might just rather go to their room right, and hide. Right. And we need to tell them that that's actually not acceptable, yeah. right? This well, idea that you disappear and hang out in your room for four days and you know sulk and eat, that, that's not how we yeah. deal with things. That's, and, what, that's for moms and dads. Right. <laughs> That's our job with the Ben and Jerry's, not our kids, right? Right. So there's a number of things we can do, but I think the first thing we have to realize is if we want this to happen, we have to decide we're going to make this happen. Mm. You know, if we want conversations with our kids. And so the first tip here is really to work on being present instead of perfect. There you go. So we're going to look at at being simply present and not being perfect. Now, there's a couple things with perfection. The first is that if we're so focused on perfection, whether it's in our homes or in our relationships or with our families, there isn't enough space in our brains and our hearts to actually pay attention to anything else. Right. Perfection is impossible. I'm I'm sorry to say it, but it is. It's not happening. It is never, ever going to happen. And so when we're striving for something that can never happen – there's no end to that. So right. we don't we don't have room to recognize, oh, someone needs something else. We also have such great research when we look at kids and when we look at relationships, they tell us that it's those interactions that mean so much more. So our kids actually don't really care if, you know, at their birthday, the napkins match the tablecloth, which matches the decorations. That's not what they care about. Right. What our kids do care about is the conversation the night before when we allowed them to help with the party favors and didn't care that they weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. So when you ask them 15 years later about your eighth birthday, they remember that conversation. They don't They don't care what the table setting is. Well, like. if they bring up the tablecloth, right. <laughs> then, then we're missing <laughs> out missed on something. We've missed a lot of yeah. things. The other thing about perfection, we have this idea that we're striving for perfect moments or that life is made of perfect moments. Right. It isn't. Life is actually made of imperfect moments and a lot of them in fact always imperfect moments so it's not our responsibility to seek out the perfection it's our responsibility to recognize how can we add meaning to the imperfection to make it just Mm. what we need it to be that's great so we've got to stop focusing on well if i can you know string enough perfect moments together then i'll have just the right conversation or that the atmosphere will be right or the timing will Mm -hmm. be right The timing is never right with the teenager. The timing is never right with your three-year-old. The timing isn't right with your husband. Every time needs to be or have the potential to be right. Totally. And so we have to be really open to those imperfect moments and focusing on adding meaning so that they become what we need them to be. Right. So that's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to be present over perfect. It means much more. The next tip is uh, is really kind of – well, it's focusing on fulfilling versus full. Huh. And it's time to recognize that we need to have a fulfilling life, not just a full life. Oh, so true. And there's a big difference here. Now, in our families, for some reason, there's this idea from society that the busier we are, the cooler we are. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know who came up with it. It's totally bogus. It's (laughs) a crock. It is a crock. And so subscribing to this idea that the busier we can be, you know, we kind of look at people and it's like, oh, they're so busy. They juggle so much. They must be amazing. Yeah. They're stressed out of their minds and have very little time to connect with one another. So if we want life to be fulfilling, we've got to make it less full. Mm. Now, this is sometimes hard to hear because our kids need to play three instruments and be in a million things and do all of this. But it's it's not so hard when we take a step back and just give it a shot. Yeah, We've got to take our calendars and take 50% away. And we've got to decide that we want a fulfilling life with our children instead of full. There's no room for conversations with them if we're constantly everywhere else. If we're full of individual activities away from our home, there's not time to be together. No. Right? There's not I, – I can't talk to you if you're not here. Right. And so we want to work on the fulfilling. Now, a fulfilling life comes when we build trust and we add, again, that shared meaning to our experiences. So we should be focused on how can we build trust with them and how can we share experiences that add meaning. That's what we're trying to do. Totally. That's cool. So to do it, we're going to get rid of the full and focus on the fulfilling. And, and simply all, all of a sudden you have more time to pay attention to – a concept like trust because it's not about seven more carpools. Right. Now we can say, okay, how can we have that discussion about trust? Right. And or, and even if there even if there's not something specific on your mind, slowing down just enough allows you the opportunity to recognize that there might be a need or mm-hmm. to actually hear what the bus ride was. If I hear it or not, it's not going to make or break me, but it is going to make or break our relationship right. because it's teaching our children we're not there and we can't hear them and we don't care. Anytime they feel we don't care, well, they don't trust us. <laughs> and so so we really have to work on, on the fulfillment of it, not the full. There's always that argument, right, the quantity over the right. quality and that type of thing. But if you're going to err, err on the quality, Yeah. right? Find Kill time. Right. Make sure that there's quality behind it so that there is that emotional connection that starts to happen. Yeah, less is is more, when, isn't you, it? when you do share trust and when you do share experiences, that's really important. And there's lots of things that, you know, if you want specifics, two areas where we see huge drains on, on American families right here in the United States is the time that we spend outside of our home. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. We're gone so much. Uh, but then the research shows us that to have meaningful interactions, those things actually happen in our home. Remember, we're back to the imperfect moments. Life is not, for most of us, like 99.9% of us, vacations back to back to back to, you know, these big balance activities or experiences. Life is about those everyday monotony and making it amazing, making it wonderful. So the time spent outside our home hurts us. And along these same lines, the technology in our home is the other thing that we find just kills us. We might all be together and saying, yeah, we interact. We see each other every day. We talk. But really, the technology separates us. So I might be on a computer while someone else is on a phone and someone else is watching TV. Yeah. And that represents a false front. It tricks us, tricks us into thinking we're building connections and sharing experiences. Really, we're just sharing the same airwaves, yeah. you know, Wi-Fi connection yeah. and couch cushions. And a lot of times we're not sharing that very right. well. <laughs> As your overage data <laughs> right. gets not, exactly. you know. We just – we've got to take a step back and decide that the fulfillment is more important than simply being full. That's huge. Simply being full. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Heather Johnson. Heather has the website familyvolley.com. She's an adjunct professor here at Brigham Young University. She's walking us through how to create intentional conversations with your kids. She's laid the foundation. Stick with us. We'll come back to solutions in a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in studio, Heather Ann Johnson. She's got the website familyvolley.com. You're going to want to go check that out. Um, and also just on the site, she's got everything she writes, her her books, her materials. Um, but also just she's in. she knows. She knows how to get your family moving, get them to be active and doing stuff together. Today we're talking about how to create a conversation and make it intentional and get conversations happening in the family. So far she's taught us we need to focus more on um, being present, not perfect, fulfilling versus full. Focus on the fulfilling things, not just being full and have a full schedule, and really finding time to be in the home. Yeah, be together, right? We've, yeah. We can't have conversations if we're not in yeah. the same place at you, the same time. Yeah. That's, right? I mean, you can be on a phone, but it's not the same. It's not the same, right? And there is clearly room for phones. There's there's this opinion that, like, technology is just across the board bad. It's not. No. It's just how we decide to use it. And if it's our primary form of communication, eh, we got some problems. Yeah. So we're going to avoid that. Yeah. It's so true. So what what else do we do to get these conversations happening? So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we don't miss the attachment opportunities. Now, you and I have talked about this in, in previous segments in different ways with marriage, which is where the research stems from. It works the exact same way in families. There are numerous times a day when our children come to us and want to talk. Mm-hmm. We're just so busy or so focused on other things that we don't recognize them. Mm. And so we miss out minute by minute on opportunities to attach and converse with them because I've got so many things on my mind or I'm juggling too much or I've packed the, ca- the calendar too full. Yeah. And so they reach out. They're always reaching out, whether it's little children who are asking us if we like a picture or if we can go do this or what do we think about you know playing kitchen – the randomness that they give us, that's opportunities where they're trying to reach out to us, yeah. trying to attach. They're essentially saying, do you hear me? Do you hear me? And do you like me? I'm I'm here. Do you see me? And if we miss those opportunities because we're too busy or too focused on ourselves or too focused on everything else, it really sending the message, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And so if we want to have these conversations, we really have to be in tune with all those little pings they throw out where they're trying to attach to us. They're trying to start these conversations, but we miss them. We miss them all the time. And so it really plays back to where we started today, recognizing we've got to get rid of some stuff so life isn't so full, but instead it's fulfilling, where we've got to recognize the need to be present instead of focusing on the perfection of everything. Right. We've, we've got to take those two and really apply them so that we can see where our children need to attach to us. If they're lingering, if they're even if they're introducing or inviting, and I've noticed it's hard when your kids get older because sometimes they only ping you when they need you. Right, right. So then it's like, well, you could text me other days. Sure. <laughs> but um, but then in, instead of like you're saying being reactive, just go text them right. and when you think about them. Absolutely. And, and take the initiative. I know our son, as you talk about older kids, he's almost 15 and he does this thing at least once a day where I know he's, he needs me, mm-hmm. but he does it by, he'll just walk over to me and he'll, he put his, puts his arm around my shoulders yeah. and he goes, Hey, and, and and it's kind of awkward if I want it to be, and I don't right. know where he's headed with it. I just simply know that he's reaching out like, I'm here. You want to, like, ask me something or start something <laughs> yeah. or you want to talk about – It's a great sign. Talk about something. And honestly, a lot of the times, 90% of the time, my first thought is I've got five other kids and a job and a husband and a house and dinner in, like, T-minus two seconds. Yeah. 
what it's going to be about riding the bus or like what happened in band or what. And, and then I have to take a step back and realize, wait a second, he's giving me such an opportunity. Do I want to take it or do I want to wake, walk away from it? Yeah, right. And I notice clearly when I walk away from it and make that mistake, it's hurtful. He, I'm, I don't want to come to her again. So we have to be very conscious when they do reach out, we've got to be in tune enough to see it, grab onto it, embrace it and be grateful. We didn't have to figure anything out. Mm -hmm. Nothing. We just simply had to be in tune enough to recognize that's what's happening. Yeah. Keep that moment alive. That's good. Good Absolutely. So we're going to make sure we don't miss out on those attachments. Now this next one is, is really powerful, but it's where as parents, we really get caught up with the pride with everything else. We need to meet our kids where they're at, where they are. Right. We have this idea that, oh, well, if they want to talk, they'll come to me. Well, not, not really. Necessarily. Right. <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes you'll have personalities that, that always do come to us. But for the most part, they're not necessarily going to do that. Mm-hmm. So we have to meet them. Now, this goes back to commitment. We know that commitment works actually contrary to how we want it to work. Commitment with our children happens when we commit first They feel the love and trust from us and in turn commit back to us in that relationship. As parents, though, we tend to sit back and think, when you get the perfect grades, when you come talk to me first, when you demonstrate to me that you're in this relationship, then as a parent, I'll pour Mm. out the love and the commitment. And unfortunately, we do the same thing in marriage. We sit back and it's like, once you prove to me that then I'll give you what you need. That's not how it works. We have to show them first, prove to them first that regardless of circumstance or experiences, the trust, the love is always there. When they know there's that stable foundation and there's pure security, they will trust back. They will come back to us. So we have to meet them where they're at. We've got to go to them first. And this means hands-on too. If you have a son who loves a video game, you better learn how to play that video game. And you better invite them to the tournament on Saturday night and sit down. And even if it's what you despise more than anything, you better learn to love it. And if they have a favorite band, you better know what songs they play and learn those words. And if, you know, they love a certain food and have certain friends – We've got to meet them. If they're at a basketball game every Saturday night at school, you should probably think about supporting that same team. We've got to really meet them where they're at. So true. And show that, them that commitment. And, and, and show that you can, you can stomach it. Uh, well, absolutely. You can handle it. You can understand it, even appreciate it. Right. And, and really help them see, like you said, it's more than stomach. It's appreciate. Why do I appreciate it? Because you love it. And if you love it, then I'm willing to give it a shot and put my attention and my energy and effort into yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. And and sometimes it's hard. You know, I, I have a family I'm working with right now, and the son loves video games. The husband detests them Hates more it. than anything. Yeah. And the thought of having to play with him, but as he's modified his behavior and started to look at it from a different perspective and he's gone to where his son is, their relationship improved and not just slowly, dramatically and immediately simply because he picked up a controller and decided, you know what, if this is where you're at, I'm going to meet you there. That's so cool. So we've got to meet him right where they are. And the last one is we kind of wrap things up. We've got to start using better use of our time and our situations. Mm. Now, the thing about this is we've talked about the need to be less busy and it's true, but we still have obligations as families and as couples and with our children as parents. Life still has things that have to be done. And so with that in mind, once we've weeded out the unnecessary and we've gotten down to a foundation that works best for us, we have to make better use of time and situations in front of us. If you have teenagers that you're driving around and you spend a lot of time in the car, heaven forbid, put phones away, turn off your car TV 
and talk. Yeah. Right? We have to eat meals. As as silly as it is, we need to put food in our mouth to live. <laughs> Why not put food in our mouths at the same time with conversation instead of technology, right? Uh, yeah. Or instead of missing each other by 30 minutes. Make the sacrifices so that whatever time and situations you do have, you're maximizing them instead of wasting them. Because there are times and seasons during the life cycle where we're busier than others. And so at those times in particular, make better use of what you've got. Take it, be creative with it, figure out how you can have conversation. In That's it. cool. Good stuff. Heather, that's – I mean it's – and again, it just seems basic common sense, but we don't do common sense anymore. We we don't. It's it's hard. We get busy and we self-protect and we start to turn inward and it gets hard. And when we feel that overwhelmed feeling, then the common sense kind of goes out oh, the window, right? It's, just, yeah, it's totally. the same way when we're talking to them and they – we impose on them our ideas or think we need to give advice instead of recognizing they just need us to validate and understand. We, That's right. We've got to stop worrying about ourselves and what's on our agenda and start thinking about the relationship that we're trying to preserve. Mm. And, and at, at that higher level, too, right. and be the bigger person. Right. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Go check out the website, familyvolley.com. You can get all of her greatest and latest stuff. This is uh, so important, folks. we got to be the big people, don't we? Come on, we'll take a break. Come back, visit uh, two great ones uh, down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Their show will begin in about 12 minutes. And let's find out what's going on down there. Hello, gentlemen. Congratulations. That was better math today compared to yesterday, Thank you. Matt. I had to actually look at the clock. Uh-huh. Yep. And then what I'm happened like, yesterday? It's, it's 11 and a half minutes. I was math min- on air is not easy. No. Time no, no. math is different, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually just used to doing calculus. Sure you are. Hey, today we talked on my show, by the way, about math anxiety. Math Townsend. Math Townsend. Did you, you really talk about math and uh-huh. anxiety? Yeah. Apparently, a lot of people have math anxiety. Hmm. Wow. And it's it spreads, and then they don't want to do math, and then they don't ever do STEM uh, studies, you know, science, tech, engineering, mathematics. They don't get into those fields. And then the next thing you know, they have a radio show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Just throwing that out there. Hey, Jerem, where were you yesterday? Uh, I wasn't here. Let's talk about, were you at the dentist? No, I went to a funeral. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't. See, now you're just going to feel bad, Matt. Oh, jeez. I didn't want to string it out. You wanted to rib him a little bit, yeah. but yeah. <sighs> okay, let really me give you something that might pick you up. Today is National Pizza Day. Mm. Every day is National Pizza Day in, when you're in Little Italy, a.k.a. the United States of America. Is a- there a difference between World Pizza Day and National Pizza yes. Day? Yes. Have you ever tasted World Pizza? Not as good as National. Not as greasy. Oh, yeah. Well, Not that's ours. the difference, right? In fact, here, let me give you a little KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. They have a new product out that I know you guys will probably love. Okay. They take a, it's chicken fried, it's a chicken crust pizza. A so, chicken crust. So they, pizza. they 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 take a chicken breast, I guess, and um, they make they flatten it out, and then they bread it in their crunchy crust. In the crunchies. In the crunchies, and then they cover it like a pizza. Now, is this in response to the chicken 
yes. tortilla thing uh-huh. that Taco Bell is doing. I think what they do, yeah, I think the they have the same chalupa. supplier. Mm-hmm. So they, what? yeah, the Chalupa, Chickalupa. And they, so like would, the would you, would you want, they call it the cheese It's a chicken pizza, mm-hmm. but it's KFC chicken as the, as the base. Interesting. Tell me it doesn't sound fantastic. I'd try it. Sure. I mean, who wouldn't try Put it, a right? Buffalo sauce on there and let's go. Uh, ooh, because that's my favorite pizza is the chicken, barbecue chicken. Oh, mm. you're welcome, Matt Townsend. Thank you. Via Jerem Jordan. Mmm, yummy. <laughs> So chicken for dinner last night. Really? Oh yeah, five bucks at Costco. Costco. Fed yes, three people. yes. Great. You can't guys. beat it. You oh. can't beat it. And it's Hawaiian, boom. Then doesn't it take you back to like your the primal urge days with the primal when guy? We stopped using the knife and just went mm-hmm. at it with our you hands. You just went back. at it. You yeah. just like, you're shaking like your head, ripping mm-hmm. whatever off. They can get. Those are the days. That's a good night. Hey, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's on your show today, boys? Today is absolutely loaded. It's Super, crazy. Super Bowl champion Kyle Van Noy will join the program. <gasps> what? Live uh, following his Super Bowl victory. Sunday How cool. With England Patriot. We tried to get Tom Brady. Couldn't get him, but we're very excited that we have former Cougar <laughs> Kyle Van Noy on the show. Yeah, Tom was gracious enough to let Kyle step in That's for nice. him. That's nice. Yeah. Nice that he shares. Yeah, he yeah. said, go ahead. Yeah. And Bill Belichick was like, no days off. <laughs> no days off. Back to work. <laughs> Screaming at people who took the day off to attend said parade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to get the chant going that yeah, it just it wasn't executed highly. That's great. What a great guest. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Boy, man, how do you guys rate? That's huge. Well, I'm, I'm anticipating uh, that our... IMDb users will rate us 9.4 after mm-hmm. today's show. I'm sure it'll yeah. go straight up. You got well. You can't really go anywhere but up, right? That's, that's what we always say. That's like Trump's ratings. He's always like, it, it can only get better. <laughs> that's what losers say. <laughs> well, it can't get much worse. It can yeah. get better. It, President Coach Steve Cleveland. Will do oh man, well. L- listen, Matt. BYU has not won against Pepperdine in Malibu in a long time, wow. which is super weird, right? Yeah, totally. Men's hoops. They've lost three in a row there. No player on BYU's team has won there. But what Pepperdine's the beautiful. They, they, they're probably lulled to sleep. Yeah. I went to that game last year. Mm. The gym's terrible. The campus is amazing, but the mm-hmm. gym's terrible. It's in yeah. Malibu, man. It's yeah. Malibu. That's why it's okay to have a crappy gym. Wooden bleachers. I'm yeah. not even kidding. You're in Malibu. I got a splinter on my backside. No. I'm really? Kidding. I did not. Is that why you had that wrap around you? Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. Here's the thing. BYU will start a new point guard tonight because L.J. Rose is going to have surgery to replace a torn meniscus in his knee, which means there are zero active seniors on the roster for BYU basketball. Oh, boy. No seniors. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you think they need me to? I could I could fill in if they need a guard. Okay. If, if they and need I'm one, senior. We'll make sure to not have any of us there. Right. Okay. <laughs> Because I, I, I'm just let them know if they, you know, I'm just tell them I'm available. We'll be sure not to do that. And yeah. I'm, and I, and I put the C in the senior. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. C. That means yes in Spanish. <laughs> I put the C in the C. senior. <laughs> senior. You mean oh senior? Yeah. Senior. C. Um, anything else on your show we need to worry about? Uh, did we not just give you like 17 things? Is that not yeah. enough for you, Matt? Plus, plus Is that not enough for you? Plus, mm-hmm. there's something else. What? Well, I can't tell you. You just have to Oh, watch. the other thing. Yeah. The other really cool thing. Plus, there's another thing. I promise you will not be disappointed about this other thing. I have what? never been disappointed by you guys ever. 
Hey, and by the way, a little I'm update. You, you, you guys left me a signed picture, um, and I actually framed it. Did you really? I framed it. I'm so happy. And Wait, I put the frame. It's now it's in my it's in my museum in my office. Mm. Framed picture of you two. Mausoleum. Mm-hmm. My yeah. mausoleum, we call it. That was really nice of Jeremy to drop that off. I That's really don't neat. remember doing it. He also left me that little piece of sliver that he got at Pepperdine. <laughs> I told you not to drop that up for Matt. <laughs> so, that was for Mark Wade. That was for oh, Mark Wade. Yeah, that should have been for Mark Wade. One, one office over. You guys <laughs> just got to go over one more office and Marcus you can get Smith. to Marcus. And anyway, okay. Guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. We are here for you. Okay. Boom shakalaka. And don't embarrass us with Kyle Vannoy. Never. 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 Take off. Peace out. Cool stuff. Man, they get an interview. Kyle Vannoy. I think he's, what, an outside linebacker for the Patriots? No, I think it's the Seahawks. Yeah. You're one coast off. Right. Again, National Pizza Day, folks. Again, I can't – I just can't say more about your need today to support pizza. Get out there. Get yourself a pizza pie and chow it down. Those pizza makers have – you know, they've come on some tough times. They have. I mean it's not it's, – it, it's, you know, maybe Trump will save it, sure. But give – Give pizza, give pizza a chance. A chance. It's a great song. Cops, by the way, uh, a woman used one point two million dollars. Uh, she used a forged check that was for one point two million dollars to try to buy a house. Police say a Pennsylvania woman tried to buy the house, forging a one point two million dollar check from a credit union. I mean, you, you got to know they're going to. Check it. Why would you pick on a credit union? I don't know. That's just sad. Police say that happened in January. Investigators say 49-year-old Catherine Kempson used the Internet to copy a business logo from a member's first federal credit union to create the $1.2 million check. She also is accused of writing a bad check for $60,000 to a real estate agency as part of the bogus transaction. The sad thing is, you know... You don't get away with anything, right? Because they still the house is there. So once they caught you, they they kind of knew where to go. You'd think you would write the bogus check for cash and then get away with the cash. You know, if she got away with it though, I would think that there would be some karma and it would become the house that cars could seem to couldn't seem to stop Crashing That's right. Into. Oh, which was a great mm. uh, segment we did. There's now a new movie out about I think, it's, I think it's called The House That Cars Couldn't Seem to Stop Crashing Into. <laughs> yeah, and it would have been that lady's house. So a little just bit of advice if you are thinking of writing a bogus check. Don't write it for a house for $1.2 million. That might be something they're going to double check. And when it doesn't work and it doesn't go through, they'll know where to find you because you'll be in the $1.2 million home. Hmm. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story, and this is a cool one. Richard Overton, believed to be the nation's oldest living World War II veteran, would see it as a death sentence if he was forced to leave his beloved Austin, Texas home, according to his relative, uh, Volma Overton Jr. The prospect of Richard leaving at 110 and having to be moved to an assisted living facility, it really, it was something the family 
knew wouldn't work for him. But they also couldn't afford to handle the nursing that he needed and the care that he needed at home. So they started a GoFundMe campaign to raise money around the clock for around the clock care. And uh, she said, we all knew that if we move Richard out of his home, he'd probably die. That home is everything for him. So they put out the orders, started raising money, and the fundraising campaign has now raised $117,000 since its launch last December. Enough money to keep Overton in his home um, for around 70 years. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, he won't need that long. Anyway, it's a lot of money, and uh, they, they now can really keep the man they love in the place that he needs to be. Folks, that's hero right there. That's a hero. And all you need to be a hero is to see the need and then figure out a solution. That's what's great about being a human being is we have these incredible brains. If we would just use them, we could solve, I bet, most of our problems here on Earth and really help each other. So let's make it a goal. Let's take care of each other. Let's look after each other. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas, more information to help you live healthier, happier lives. Until then, let's make it a great one and take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.